Come ask a dumb question. Come ask a good question. And then do I need to log into Twitch or something to see all these questions or is it going to come through? I mean, that's usually when I'm like, oh, we need more Sam. And, you know, I comment off oh, of like all my random go. channels I have. Yes. What's up, Laybro? Yes. I hear you. Here, mute yourself for a half second. I will check on YouTube and tell oh, you. Oh, no, you are not coming through. Right here. That should uh -huh. do it. Uh-huh. How about that? There, we're, we're up. We're up. Okay. My, my mistake, I had the wrong audio input selected. We are now fully ready to go at 8.05, only only five minutes behind schedule. Um, so anyway, welcome, fellas. Uh, welcome to Scouching Live, number uh, number nine or whatever it is this season. Uh, Greg Revac and Sam McGilligan joining me again. How are you guys? Fantastic. How are you? Uh, fine. Fine. We're back. <laughs> fine. I mean, it's a while. Yeah, I know. I know. You're hard, hard apple to please. Me? I am? Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I mean, every time I'm like, hey, you got to check this guy out. He's terrible. And you're like, nah, he's actually great. And I'm like, oh. Just because he's Cole Perfetti doesn't mean you have to. Oh, okay. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Greg, Greg. Swinging. For the audience, Greg has been itching to talk about how Cole, Cole Perfetti is bad uh, for weeks now. And finally, I let him back on the show. So if the audience is interested, we can uh, talk about how much Cole Perfetti is overrated, according to Greg Revac, who is a coach, so he knows what he's talking about, apparently. So they say. So they say. <laughs> so they know. say. You're, you're the expert here with prospects. Me. So you should be able to be able to tell me how this actually should go and why I'm an idiot. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. I've got it. I've got ammunition. If you want to, if you want to rip on Cole Perfetti, I got ammo. Uh, but anyway, uh, lovely to have. Reels look great. I'm not not denying that. It's, yep. You know, when you watch a full shift and you're like. Huh? <laughs> well, well, in any case, it's lovely to have you guys here. It's always a pleasure. Uh, welcome back. We got off to a great start here. Um, I, I guess to start the show, we can we can just run through for podcast listeners the guys that I've actually tracked this week and added to the database, and uh, Greg and Sam can shut up and deal with it. Uh, so we started with Simon Forsmark, Justin Cote, Leon Bixell. Uh, I still am trying to figure out how to pronounce his name properly. Sorry for that Zurich fan that pops in my DMs once in a while if you're listening. Uh, Kenta Isagai, uh, Cole Spicer, Cutter Gauthier, one of the best names in the entire NHL draft. Uh, Philip Nordberg, Rutger McGrory, another great name for the draft. Philip Beestead, Matthew Semenoff, Cole Knubel, Mike Knubel's son, actually, which makes me feel old. Uh, Callie Odelius, uh, Adam Ingram, and Denton Matejchuk. So those are the names that we looked at, or I looked at this week. Um... So for podcast listeners who want to follow up afterwards, 
hit me up. Uh, but anyway, we'll jump in. First question of the night uh, from Stephen Kant Game. Thoughts on Samuel Canasco on his way to Seattle? Now, Greg, I don't expect you to have seen a ton of Samuel Canasco, but this is a guy uh, that I dig. Wait, Samuel Canasco's on his way to Seattle? Like... <laughs> uh i've been watching survivor tonight so uh i didn't i don't know if that's news that's been going on but if he's heading to the seattle thunderbirds that's news to me and uh, a welcome change i suppose oh this is like a month old oh it is oh it is and he hasn't played yet interesting uh well i mean i'm on the record as being a pretty big fan of samuel knazko I mean, I think he's a long shot to make the NHL, but I just really liked watching him play and, and how aggressive he was with his defensive style. Um, you know, his skating was a bit of an issue, but he does have some pretty good skill and, and some pretty good puck possession skill. He drove some really good metrics for the data that I was looking at. Um, an underrated defensive guy, but I mean, him in Seattle, I feel like it's an interesting fit, but I'm hoping he plays because he's only played like 15 games this season. And uh I feel like he would do really well in WHL. Sam, I don't know how much experience you have with Samuel Kanashko. Uh Sample size is limited because in 2020, past the top like 40 guys, my just the access to film was hard to find. What I did see on him, he was super fascinating to watch. There's just a lot offensively he does, and you're just like, I highly question the projectability, but goddamn, if it works, it works. Right. Yeah. And he for I mean I think I had him in like the early third round range, which is not too bad for a player of his archetype anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean relative to some of the other names around him, what he could be versus what they could be, he is on the higher end of that spectrum. Sure. I like him. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, I remember when he was drafted by Columbus, I was kind of surprised that it was that quick, but Columbus is not afraid to sort of jump the gun on guys and, and pick guys. I think we all know that. Um, and it seems to have paid off with the, I mean, Cole Sillinger wasn't really them jumping the gun, so to speak. They, that was, that was pretty straightforward, but anyway, um, uh, Ray, you got a, you got a shout out from Ray bro. You, uh, there, Sam, sup McGillica, McGillicuddy or whatever your, whatever your real name is. Uh, Joe Friday asks, you don't have a real name. Nice. Uh, that's, that's lucky. Uh, how is our buddy Gleb Trikozov doing? So interest, interesting, uh, Gleb Trikozov actually, uh, has just gotten some respect from elite prospects ringside. He's sitting, I believe at 15 on their board. Let me double check. Uh, but that was something I did not expect. I mean, I kind of did because they're smart over there most most of the time, David. Uh, but uh, Gleb is at 15 on their list, and Miroshnichenko is at 30. Um, and you know what? I don't know about you guys. I know, Greg, I've been telling you to watch Gleb Trikozov for a while, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm pretty sure, Sam, I feel like you've seen a bit of him. It doesn't seem that absolutely crazy that Gleb Trikozov is a guy that could be ranked higher than Ivan Moroshenko by the end of the season. It's not outlandish. Every day my rankings are getting closer and closer. Actually, now that I'm thinking, I haven't actually thought about that, but I'm pretty sure that they are only three spots away in my They're only three spots away in my rankings right now. Right? Yeah. Moroshenko at... 13 and Gleb at 16. For for me, it's eight. I, I still have faith in Moroshnashenko, but Gleb has been fantastic. Um, now, to bring... It's, it's an interesting topic of discussion, especially to bring Greg in, because 
I don't know if you watched much of the Holinka or the under 18 last year and saw much of Ivan Morosnyshenko, but this year he has not been the same player. I don't think, and I think that's he the, hasn't. and I think that's the common thread. And it's his first year playing pro hockey. He's playing in the second division in Russia. I am kind of curious because both players, I think, have risk. So with Marushnyshenko, you run the risk of, well, when he's playing against pro competition, he's completely being mitigated because that's kind of what's happening right now. But when I watch Gleb Trikazov play against grown-up competition, I see a player who clearly has a lot of talent and skill and speed and, and, and agility and all these fun little tools that, that can get the puck in the net. He can shoot really well. He can set up a play pretty well. But it's just he hasn't quite put it all together. So if you had to put your money on a guy who might be underperforming but have a high, super, super high pedigree going into the season and a guy who is showing tremendous amounts of potential but some serious inconsistencies and some serious uh, – in and out mode, I guess you could call it, when the when he doesn't have the puck, which I see in Gleb Trikazov, or or just not processing play super quickly and getting closed out quite often. Which one which one do you think you would bet on as a guy that you might want to like nurture and, and bring up through the ranks and why? Say that one more time. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Deep in figuring out uh, and reminding myself about Marco Casper right now. <laughs> Okay. Talk about I remember seeing him as I think it was like a 15, it wasn't 15, but I'm going to say he's like 14 year old playing in the World Jays with Austin. Oh yeah, yeah, that I think that was last year. He was 16 or something. That was that was, that was neat. Um but the but the question really from from me is is there's two guys who play on the same team, right? Like you got one who has this extremely high pedigree, tons and tons of resume, but he's just not really performing super well at the pro level right now. And you have another guy who is not scoring points but shows clear clear raw talent right like it's inconsistent and without the puck you just wonder what he's thinking and processing play is an issue but you gotta you gotta pick one because the two of them are pretty close on the list and they're both kind of going in opposite directions um but like i'm wondering as a sort of like thinking about it from a development perspective or trying to help a player along would you rather go for a guy who might be struggling a little bit but has you know, shown signs of potential in the past, or are you looking for someone who's sort of brand new to the pro thing, kind of out of their element and, and inexperienced, but you see some legitimate flashes of talent? Okay, has the flashes performed at lower levels? Yes. Uh, I think I think so, right, Sam? I think so. Like, if you watch him at the MHL, right, the junior level in Russia. He looks ridiculous yeah. in the MHL at times. Like, he shows he can play with the highest level of any of them almost. at certain. The way his all of his skills can layer together at certain times, you're just like, he pops off the screen. He does. That's true. He pops. It's electric. It's dynamic. It's everything. It's not just a fun factor. He's legitimately doing good macro play driving things and I'll, just I'll take annihilating players you take, one-on-one. So you, you, you take the second guy. So yeah. you're, you're and, team Gleb. Like, think about this player, right? Like, he's probably not performing well because what is he used to? Like, what's his normal environment? Like, how does he get his confidence? It's from, like, getting the puck 50 times, 60, if he's really popping, maybe 70 times a game. Like, you're getting 60, you know, 50 to 70 puck touches a game. Sure. Like you're going to get confidence because you're touching it so much. Like you could be doing nothing, but you're going to feel good because you're touching it so much. So now you're not performing. Okay. So you're probably not going to be in the top six. So you're not seeing a ton of minutes. So when you do see the ice, it's every so often. Now you're not seeing the puck. Like 
you've got to completely redefine your confidence based off of the process and the preparation. Like that's just the evolution of a young guy. Like same thing with Ross and Stalin in, in Buffalo. Like the guy went, went from Froland for Lunda where he's basically touching the puck, you know, 50, 60 times a game. And then he goes to Buffalo where he's getting buried in his own zone. Maybe he touched it at 20, 25. And when he does touch it, it's absolutely terrible condition. So he tries to make something happen. Now he's turning it over. Now you got the spiraling down thing of like confidence. Mm-hmm. Kruger went the way of, Hey, you need to simplify your game, stay back, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well now you're completely taking the kid out of his element. You're, redefining who he is as a player like you're completely wrecking him then you got a don granado who comes in and wants to play off those strengths get him back to what made him who he is which Deline is arguably like i would take him over owen power any day um you're not gonna get any fight from me on that yeah but i would also take at, him the, over at, the, power any day. at the same age absolutely and, and even even like as we've seen them progress in their career, like Deline just has some things that are just elite, like top NHL. Like if you trade Makar and Darlene and how they came into the league, and you know, Makar is immediately getting a ton of puck touches, a ton of ice time, like breeds confidence. Confidence, boom, he's going to try these things. He's getting a lot of puck touches. Then you got Deline. Like if you just swap them, I bet it's the exact same thing. Only we're looking at opposite stories and Deline's you know going to be popping Meanwhile, yeah the car is going to be struggling like it's the same thing there so like i'm going to take the kid who needs to redefine himself find him a better situation um and properly develop him any day like you want to see a good trajectory because it starts to tell you the story what the kid's doing off the ice to prepare themselves to actually have success rather than a high pedigree because you're going to see more flops on that i mean there's every once in a while you get like a kylington that comes out of nowhere or chillington or however you pronounce his name Kylington. calgary and like he'll finally find his way, but most guys just kind of like stall out mm-hmm. unless they find themselves or get them themselves in a better situation, a better environment. They just fizzle. Yeah. Like they could ha- like they like like potential is my favorite word because it just means you haven't done jack squat. Yet. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I think I think I agree. Uh, and it is interesting you bring up the difference between a guy like Kale McCarr and a guy like Rasmus Dahlin. Like and how much the developmental system they're sitting in and who the, who's managing their career can have such an impact on them. And I think that that's something that I think a lot of people miss when it comes to analyzing prospects and, and sitting in this game. Like at a certain point, you have to let sort of probabilities sort of take over and you never really know at the end of the day what's what's going to happen and, and how a coach can affect a player because it can be either very positive or very it negative. It can be a coach. It can just be an organization. Yeah. Like, look at the Montreal Canadiens. When's the last time they produce anyone? Right. Yeah. Anyone, just, just it's just any, it's a it's a structural thing. And yeah, Sam's a Montreal Canadiens fan for anyone who's uh, for anyone who's not aware. Like think about like the guys the Leafs have had to lose throughout the years like and then they go on and they've all have success. Yep. Like there's just how you set players up for success. Like the environment you create is so powerful as a coach. Like you don't want to blame a coach. And a lot of times it isn't a coach. It's just like you could have the best coach, but if you have terrible management supporting them, you're just, you're just like, you need the alignment. Like that's the reason I think the Leafs are so valuable is because there's alignment from AHL, ECHL, scouts here, scouts there. Like, the organization itself is on the same page. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You need to stick to an identity and just go with it. 
like you can't be bobbling up and down or do this or do that or just try to piecemeal it together like that's yeah. my problem with an organization like montreal i mean montreal is the easy one to pick on i mean buffalo just went down to the bare bones and like, average <laughs> drafts yeah yeah like yep. again you just like set yourself up for failure because you you failed too long yeah like, all right complete rebuild doesn't work unless you have like the resources to like quickly pick it up right yeah like what do you do when you hit bottom right like where do you go yeah, um, so it's like the, the player themselves right because you're placing a bet on the player and then it's like how do you nurture that bet like that's yeah. my problem is like once we do place it down like how do we like I, I coached high school hockey at one year as an assistant and i just wanted to rip my hair out because we're working on power play and pk for 40 60 percent of the time and it's like okay well what about our third and fourth liners like we just buried them in right developmental hell like we got guys coming from jv who are stepping into the top six these guys have been here two years and they're still on the third line like i think it's plain as day to see what's going on here right right a pre Total much tangent i've no, a ton of good questions no it's all it's all good yes and there are a ton of good questions uh so thomas killiam asked about owen beck i honestly have not seen him yet i have him on my list i don't know sam or, or greg i don't think either of any of us have he's getting I've a lot of in like the background but not enough to make a good comment. yeah yeah i mean I, what i've seen of him is I, I i just think he's fine so far like uh, on mississauga i like luca del bell quite a bit but not you know i don't know i'm a little bit skeptical of uh of, of owen beck at the moment but i haven't dug in deep uh david st louis of elite prospects ringside is here and he asked about ivan rushnashenko and uh the debate that went on on twitter about him today i believe it was cam robinson who put something out um i mean we can circle back on on, on I, I believe we can circle back on ivan rushnashenko but i believe i could be wrong but the question originally posited from Cam was, if you if you still have Ivan Marushnyshenko in your top ten, how do you justify that decision based on how he's played so far this year? And, I mean, my angle is that players don't forget how to play hockey. I don't think year over year, especially when they're going from junior hockey to pro. Like I look at the track record that Ivan Marushnyshenko has, and just how dominant he's been in international competition, just how electrifying he looked at the junior level last year, and look at him in the in the pro level this year, and I just get the feeling there's a coach in his ear going, "Don't try anything fancy, don't try anything creative, just go out, play hard, play physical." You know, guys are going to be all over you because you're the hotshot 17-year-old, so just learn how to make plays when you're under pressure. And that's basically all he's done, and he's struggling. And I just get the feeling that, especially in transition play, he's kind of struggling there as well. And I just feel that it's kind of wrong to take that and go, eh, I guess he's just not very good. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, this happened with Atu Ratu last year, where he I had a very a very underwhelming draft year when there were very clear signs that something was wrong. Like, something's just not right in his head that is, a la- that is, that is putting him in a position to undershoot his potential. And as soon as he gets out of Carpot and into a situation where he's playing more minutes and with more belief from coaches than playing bottom six minutes on a really good finish team, he's flexing his he's flexing his muscles a little more. He's scoring goals again. He's kind of finding his groove. So I feel like with Marushnashenko, it's, you know, I mean, I don't know how Russians coach their teams, but I get the feeling that there's someone in his ear that's kind of switching things up for him a little bit so he can adapt to being a pro, but it's having a negative effect. I mean, I don't know because I watched him a lot last year and I did not see the player that is there this year. So 
which one is it, right? And I get the feeling that I'm always going to bet on the best of what I've seen of a player and hope that he figures it out. And Sam, I know you've watched a lot of him this year, so I'm, I'm curious what you think. Very similar thoughts. The Atu Ratu thing is the thing I keep thinking of because it was around, well, not this time, but relative since most people, did, actually, no, it was this time for Finland last year when Atu Ratu's name in the rankings just started going down. And I think it got carried away very quickly and his name started tanking. And you're kind of looking at him and the pedigree he has and the talent that he has, skill set that he's shown, all the tools he's shown that he can layer, all the things that he could do. And everyone was just like, yeah, but I'm not seeing it in the last like eight weeks. So he doesn't have it anymore. Right. It's so, it's December. It's not, if, Ivan Moroshenshenko doesn't show any signs of improvement and just keeps trending down the way he has been come June, then yeah, absolutely. Ivan Moroshenshenko a lot lower than top 10, top 15. Yeah. I can be on board with that. But it's way too early. And like you said, there's something off. I don't know if it's a coach. I don't know if it's just a mental block because sometimes I think we forget that these guys are 17, 18 and confidence issues can be a thing. Uh, it could be adapting to pro. It could be a combination of a bunch of factors that we're not even considering. It's just too early. But when Moroshenko was at his best, he was a top four argument in this draft, like by nearly almost everybody with Savoy and Brad. Yep. I, I just feel like it's too early. When you've there's some names who are just popping off to a level where, yeah, you absolutely can just be like, well, at this point, I wouldn't take Marashenko over him. I agree with that. There's names who have moved up in my top ten. Marashenko's gone from four to thirteen, but there's a difference between someone like getting buried based on the situation, and then guys that haven't figured out a way to just find a way to get in the lineup. Yeah, themselves valuable and work their way up. Like, uh, yeah, I think with him, it's what, like, what is it for him, right? Like, that's I, my question for you guys. Like, yeah, is he showing like ways like, oh, hey, I'm gonna start here and then build myself from that? I like, think. I mean, he's trying exactly to play. Right. He's, he's trying to play role, a like, small area game a lot of the times. He's trying to handle pressure. He's trying to not overthink things and make simple decisions. And it's really weird because it's not working. I think the big, the weirdest part about him is that when you watch him at his best, the simple decisions come so natural to him, and he also has the game-breaking talent. Whereas this year, it's like he's trying so hard to focus on making it simple that he's now not doing it right. And it's making it look way worse because he's adapting to pro in the process of it. There are some times, though, where that little bit of natural talent comes around, and you're just like, holy shit. And then four shifts go by, and all he did was make five pass attempts, and three of them were incomplete. Yeah, I mean the thing the thing that I mean you Greg you mentioned it, it like maybe it's just he's not doing things to earn ice time. And I think with Morosnyshenko he's playing. Like he's playing minutes. Yeah. But the thing the thing that I think is kind of lacking and you can get away with it in the Supreme Hockey League and the VHL, you can kind of he's he's not really moving the needle in a way that you would expect even a good junior aged player in that league to do. Like I remember what like my my litmus test for guys like this is I always go back to 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 um Rodion Emirov when he was draft eligible and just how much of a needle mover he showed at times in the KHL even like I, I people ask me about Danila Yurov all the time and I just see a guy who's not really moving the needle which is why he's not playing a whole lot whereas Mirosh I think he's 
not really moving the needle, but he's playing enough where he probably should be. So that makes me think they're just trying to get him moving and trying to get him chipping in and, and, and getting those simple things down. Because like, like Sam they said... clearly have faith in him. Like, I mean, Sam's right. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is very much like his game is focused on small areas and really simple, effective play. And it's not always effective, right? It's just not executed very well. But the thing for me, like I track the data with him and I've seen him play quite a few times. I've got two games of data tracked and it all kind of feeds into the same thing with me. Like he's a very low volume passer because he's not touching the puck a whole lot. He's low volume offensive transitions. If On defensive ones, he's actually relatively high volume, but not super effective because he's kind of weak on his feet. He's strong and resilient, but in terms of chasing pucks down and getting pucks back, it's still a work in progress. But then if the puck is in the offensive zone, you do see him finding space and, and creating room for himself and, and getting shots off and getting chances and creating chances. All these things that you want to see out of players, but his complete game is kind of lacking. So I think they're trying to get him a little bit more comfortable, I think more than anything, and and you know a little bit quicker on his feet because I feel like he doesn't have that escape velocity, that escape gear, that, that, that quick first couple of steps that can help create some space. Whereas you know for him, it's more like, I'll get the puck, Someone comes after me immediately. I can spin off of that pressure, find a passing option, or just dump it and chip it up the boards, right? Like, it's that really simple game that's not really being executed super well that I think is making him look pretty poor. But like Sam said, it's only December 1st or 2nd or whatever it is. So I think if if it's April and we're still in the same boat, then yeah, like I don't think I would want Maroshnashenko even anywhere close to my top 20 maybe. But there is a lot of upside bet there because of what he has been able to show in the past. So I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not per- particularly ready to swing the pendulum to the complete opposite end of the spectrum and say he's a bust. But there are things that you definitely want to see more of that are kind of going. All right, what have you done for me lately? Um, so I'm with you on that one. But yeah. Like, I say we move on to Casper here. Yeah. Someone asked about Marco Casper. Ooh, we yeah. Were just talking about Marco Casper very recently. Yeah. We we can dig I'm into Marco Casper. Be, I'm really starting to be so, a fan of him. So so the question is: Is the offense limited with Casper? Is it a case of a player not getting a lot of ice time? And I think he's been playing relatively often. He's not like getting completely cratered in ice time, but he's playing like bottom six minutes. And I feel like that's kind of the role he's going to play in the NHL. But I do feel like he's going to be an NHL player. Like, he's 22 on my board, because I think at a certain point in the NHL draft, you kind of find these guys where you can easily identify them and go, all right, this guy's probably going to be a perfectly reasonable bottom six player in the NHL. And if you get a bottom six player in the NHL draft at, like, 28th overall, you've probably done better than than most other teams in, the, in, in that range of the first round, because you kind of get something. Whereas in that range, sometimes you don't get anything, or they just flame out in the ahl or something so i mean i'm curious what you guys think about marco casper but he's gonna be a really good third liner like yeah. i don't mean like when i say really good third liner i don't mean like a third liner on buffalo or arizona you're, you're thinking or like something. like charlie coyle boston yeah 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 like exactly marco casper could be and if you get in that in the 20s did you really make a bad pick? no it's not sexy, you know, like it's not a pick where everyone's going to be putting highlight gifts on the internet and everyone's going to be like losing their mind, but well, you're in the playoffs and you're winning. Yeah. Like he's a big kid. He has enough skill to make it work. He's not going to wow you. He doesn't have enough speed to wow you, but he's effective. You know, he's positioned well, he's strong. He's 
Like, there's a lot of things to, to really like that are basic about his game, and it's a nice building block to build on. Like, he's, a, he's what, 6'2", 6'3"? Like, if he gains another gear, even just another gear, it doesn't need to be, like, two or three in his skating and just ability to generate speed and, and handle the puck. Like he's grown a lot and thrown on yeah. a lot of pounds. Like, I rem- it looks like he, he'll start, he'll, like, become, like, a beast of an athlete in two, three years, and he's never going to be a burner. Like No. That's one actually. Oh, you well, he looks bigger. You, yeah, you, yeah, he, he looks like he's grown height and width. So well, Gr- Gr- Greg, you mentioned he was playing on the Austrian team last year, and I remember looking at him and going, "Okay, this is kind of interesting." The 16-year-old Austrian kid, but he looked a little bit shrimpy out there to me, from what I remember. He looked pretty small, and this year I definitely don't see that. I, I, I think he's grown quite a bit. Um, I think that's something you have to take into account. Like, this yeah, he's getting used to his new body. Like. Austin Matthews, when he found an extra gear, when he dropped all that weight, like he took an extra, like he needed to learn how to control his skating again. Right. He kept going a step too far and it just threw off the entire offensive timing for him. Yeah. Yeah. He's an unbelievable player and he basically one timed his way to, (laughs) you know, an amazing season still. But I mean, that's why he's one of the best in the world. Right. Uh, Casper's not in that, that realm. No. But, like, you can see the guy's body is clearly changing on him, and he needs to get used to all of those little things. But yeah. all of the underlying tools lead to, as he becomes a better athlete, especially by the time he's 23, 24, yep. like, it screams middle six guy who could probably fill up on your first line here and there. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys, when I've, whenever I've watched him, he's this, like they come along once in a while. It's like these blatantly obvious players who are overseas playing pro hockey or whatever. And you can just blatantly tell that they're playing a North American style game that coaches I think are going to like, you know, it's not, he, 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 it's super simple. It kind of reminds me of what I thought about watching Ronnie Hirvonen a few years ago, except he's just bigger than Ronnie Hirvonen, like really simple, effective, smart hockey. And then in the offensive zone, just go to the net. Like you're big, park yourself in front of the net and just do stuff. Like that's, and and that's kind of where Casper's got his goals so far this year. He has, I think, four or five. And it's and a lot effective play. Yeah, it's just like, effective. Like coaches don't care how you get the job done as long yeah. as it's done. Like it's all about effectiveness. That's where like half the time I've got problems with players and they're like, I should be playing more. I'm like, it's not that you're not talented, it's you're not effective. Like yeah. that's the real issue here. Yeah. So he just gets it done. I mean, I don't think he scored a ton recently. Like, let me check his instat real quick. Yeah, he... but like every time I watch him, he's doing the right things. Like his process is pretty; it's quite unbelievable for a seventeen-year-old. Yeah, I mean his ice time does fluctuate a little bit from what I've seen, but he plays mo- like when I track him, he plays enough where it makes sense for me to track him. Like I usually don't track games if guys don't play like more than at least like six or seven minutes because sometimes you can't do any better than that. But I think he's been playing more than that, um, and that's five on five ice time. But like I've got him anywhere. In my view, he's good enough to go as high as maybe 15, 16. If you really like that type of player and you just have a bunch of skill, fast guys that are in your system and you just want something to supplement that, I could see it. But I think he should go in the first round. I haven't seen him put in the first round a whole lot, but I could easily see it. Yeah, I would I think, think we all would probably be about right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he's like Coronado ish. Like, yeah, so kind of. Probably around the 20s, but I bet someone will swing on earlier just because of the background he's shown. And, like, you can see the elements that are missing yeah. are easier to add on. I mean, he doesn't have that wow factor like a Lucas Raymond, but if he did, he'd be... Yeah, top five. He's yeah. already playing like a pro in a 
good pro league. Like, yeah, it's not a Marco Right. One more thing will be very interesting to watch with him is juniors because Austria is going to be terrible, and he is he is going to need to play like thirty minutes a night, I think, to keep that team afloat. He didn't really do much for me last year at the World Juniors, but a 16-year-old playing for the Austrian team, like, I don't know what you could expect. So, I don't know. He It, it might be a bit of a tire fire, and, and that would kind of suck, but he'll be the guy on that team. And uh, I'll be curious to see what he can do, because if, if it's not him, it's going to be nobody. Um, so we gotta, I don't think he's a puck carrier, though. No, like, I, oh, no. He, I think he's going to struggle in that situation, not having anyone to help him, because yeah. he plays such a game. His game is a lot of good habits, which doesn't always mean being the most selfish player, which you kind of need to be in that situation. Right, which is what kind of harms his projectability, right? Like where he'll end up is probably not like top end of your lineup, but a really good sort of meat and potatoes guy somewhere else, right? Um, David St. Louis, by the way, has a great question. Which one? Cole Perfetti, greater than Tim Stutzel? Question mark? (laughs) I mean, we're totally skipping over the Brad Lambert, and I don't know anything about Brad. Well, we Lambert. can we can play like twice, and I've liked him. We can circle back on him. We can circle back on that question because we talk about Brad Lambert every week on this show. But Cole Perfetti greater than Tim Stutzla? It is a interesting question. It's I don't very imperfect players. I yes, I watched Vancouver play Ottawa. I think it was last night, correct? Because I was on a live show after on Twitter with Canucks people. And I remember watching the Ottawa Senators and like, yeah, on one hand, that team is kind of broken, but boy, I don't know. Like Tim Stutzla, the big thing for me with him when he was draft eligible was he's fast and skilled and aggressive, but he tries to do absolutely everything by himself. Like just, he's, he's a one man band, I think like a lot of the time. And that, that's fine. Like if you can make that work, then great. But he just like, he's a hundred octane fuel going all of the time and trying to do so much on his own. And I just worried about how much that would project, especially for a guy jumping straight into the NHL. I mean, for me... It's the same situation as Darlene. It's like, like when I watch him, again, I'll, I'll let you expound on this, but like, he's a guy who needs someone else at this moment in his career. Like, he either needs to be the guy who just like tips a puck to a teammate, goes, gets open, and then rips a shot or builds speed and grabs it. I don't or, think but that's the is like in the mental state to do that. Yeah, though. that's the weird thing. Let someone be that guy for him he robs his teammates of so many opportunities and just regular positive chain link sequences it's just uh, it's so he just all the talent and skill to play drive as good as anybody in the nhl and zero desire to want to do it i mean i i will say that watching the ottawa senators i mean i i look at tim stutzla and he uh, at one point like he was playing with guys like josh norris and drake batherson i believe and i think that those are guys that he should be able to work with like that's the type of players that the ottawa senators have that i would want him playing with but the especially norris yeah and but the problem i think a bigger problem for the ottawa senators is their defense like, it's almost like the Montreal Canadiens, where if it's not Thomas Shabbat, they have an incredibly hard time getting the puck back and moving it up the ice. And it feels like it kind of when Tim Stutzel is on the ice, like he's chasing around the puck defensively. He's never been a particularly fantastic defensive player. And that definitely is the case in the NHL so far. He's been better this year. But I just look at that and go, well, nobody's getting him the puck. And, and, and he kind of has to do it himself. And he can, but he forces so much. And I feel like that's kind of leading to his struggles a little bit this year. 
Yeah. So uh, that being said, it would be great if they were actually on a line together. I think this would be like one of the best line combinations I've ever seen <laughs> in your life. That being well, said, I'll take Stutzel over Perfetti any day, but I'm a little biased on I, uh, Perfetti anyways. I probably would as well, just because you can do so much with Stutzel. Like Will said, who, how much of what I just said earlier is because of the environment that he's in. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's because it's a continued habit from his draft year. I'm st- can't tell if it's development going wrong if this is who he is going to just be just a more refined version is he ever going to start playing you know more as a team player with skilled players and seeing what like you know three amazing guys in the line is instead of one but i don't know yeah it's just it's just too early to say with him there's a lot of questions and there's no definitive answers because you can... I don't think he's a Neil Yakupov like. No, 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 no. He's got no, not at all. I think Dude, he has he's enough a damn good player. Like he will be a good player. I, I, th- I think the, pr- I think a big issue with the Ottawa Senators is they like Greg. You brought this up earlier, where you need like cohesion in your organization. Like I think the Ottawa Senators have this weird mix. Like they drafted Tim Stutzla and they drafted Jake Sanderson, which is great. Like cool, those two guys are great assets to have. But DJ Smith seems to want his team to be all Brady Kachucks, right? Like they drafted Ridley Grigg. They drafted Zach Ostapchuk. They drafted all of these guys. They drafted Ben Roger. Chan- yeah, Shane Pinto. They drafted Chan- Chan- Chandler. Yeah, Tyler Boucher. Chandler Romeo. Like they drafted all of these just big physical guys. And that's the type of hockey they seem to want, right? Like they 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 somehow managed to take Victor Mete and try to get him to play a more defensive game when his when his defensive game was how offensive he kind of plays like he's an aggressive he's an aggressive defensive player right like he pursues the puck doesn't like to sit back and i watched him sit back and get burned on entries time after time after time the other night so i i I wonder if a big issue with ottawa is just structurally like the 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 message and the culture the team is trying to achieve just doesn't make sense for the players that really should be excelling guys like batherson and stutzla and and all these guys like otherwise like if you want to be a dump and chase grind it out type team fine but don't draft guys like tim stutzla if your expectation is that he's gonna fit into that system i mean i don't know maybe i'm boiling it down too much but i just read what senators fans are saying what they think about dj smith and what i remember about dj smith here in toronto um and what i've heard about him and and what he said in the media and i just go something doesn't add up here like the the it seems like the mix isn't right, whether it's the coach and the players or the players and the coach. I don't know. Um, but it's I feel not, like you got to fix it. <laughs> well, you, you don't go to war with the army you wish you had. You go to army to war with the army you actually have. And like that's – you're saying exactly. Like, there needs to be some cohesion. It's not about just trying to get the, all of the best talent. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. You need to have the right talent. I mean, it's like the 1980 – you know, U.S. Olympic team. I need the right guys. Yeah, it's not about having the best guys. So, I mean, the talent's there. I, I would prefer if they got rid of the coach. Um, it's not that he's a bad coach, just not not the right right coach for them. Yeah, like I could see D.J. Smith being a successful junior coach or or whatever, but in the NHL, it's just been a mixed bag, and it seems like he's losing the fans. He's losing some of the guy. Like it just doesn't seem to be working. But anyway, I don't want to I don't want to go on about D.J. Smith for for an hour. Um, 
But, uh, I mean, we'll jump back really quickly to, to the question about Brad Lambert. I mean, I've seen him quite a lot this year. I know Sam's watched him a lot. Greg listens to us talk about him. Brad Lambert is probably one of the most misaligned players in the draft, in my opinion. Like, I just, I get the feeling that there's an unbelievable amount of talent there with him. And, and, and it, again, it needs to be harnessed, I think. He needs to learn some lessons. But I also think that he's been really PDO'd to crap in the in the league of this year, whereas Joaquin Kamel is the opposite. He's been PDO'd to heaven. Um, and, and Brad Lambert has had the opposite. So, I mean, I don't know. Sam, if you disagree or, or have anything else to add, that, that then feel free to do so. But... Uh, I wouldn't be too worried about Brad Lambert, except... Uh, I'm not worried about Brad Lambert at all. If, uh, it's like, this is not a Mirashnashenko thing, where no. you could question the talent the year before and what you're seeing now and this and that, and maybe it wasn't as projectable and all that type of stuff. That's just not what's happening. You can clearly see on a... Pretty much, I'd honestly say, at sometimes in some games anyways, a ship-by-ship basis all of the things that will come together and make him an elite center in the NHL. The, the short area game, the transitional upside, the skating is just out of this world. The skill is out of this world. Some of the past, like his past, pers- well, what's his past percentage stat? Isn't it like uh, quite good, is it not? Well, I'll go over some of the data I've got on him because some of it is bonkers. I mean, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> looking at it the other day and i was like oh here shit. i'll i'll bring it up over everybody's face here so this is brad lambert's data uh it is oh that's not what i meant uh let's do nope not that one um forget about it i'll just leave it where it is because i don't want to break my stream uh with brad lambert i mean he's passing over 80 percent. this is two games so i'll do another one in the next couple of weeks but his he, in in the liga passing over 80 percent is hilarious uh you know what i love about him is that he's involved in a third of his team's offensive transitions and 85 percent of them he maintains control which is absolutely astounding like very very few players come even close to that even at the junior level like marco rossi and cole perfetti were 80 percent plus guys offensively with efficiency and not very many guys come close and that's the ohl so Brad Lambert's track record, again, it's like Atu Ratu. There's all of these little data points you can pick out that goes, okay, he's doing a lot of the right things, but it's just not all coming together, right? Like Brad Lambert only is participating in uh, what this metric is, shot attempt creation percentage. So that's just the percentage of the team's shot attempts where Brad Lambert is either passing it to the person who takes it or doing it himself. And he's a bit hesitant to shoot the puck quite a bit. He's more of a perimeter playmaker. And I think that that kind of leads him to suffer a little bit when it comes to offensive generation but the he's get it's like Jean-Luc Foudy almost but better like he's taking the puck from the defensive end and putting it in the offensive end with strong control of the puck and he does it really 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 well and I feel like if you put him on a line with guys who can finish you'll figure it out right like you'll you'll you're doing all the hard work and other guys can finish off the job so my question becomes like he's a he's a coach's kid He's been around the game. Like, he's clearly got refined details more than most. Does he take that next step? Like, I guess that's everyone's question probably is, does he take the next step? He's clearly going to be in the NHL. Like, it, I, just watching in World Juniors, oh. like, it was pretty obvious, like, hey, this guy's got a refined game. Like, he's going to find a good role. Like, clearly he plays more of a North American. Like, he can compete. Whether he gets to the inside like you're talking about, I mean, that's if you do that, there's reasons why those guys get paid a lot of money in the NHL. Yep. But, like, he's been that size for since he was like 16. He's yep. 
like ha, I'm, my question to you guys is has he progressed from 16 to 17 to now 18 because i th- his, i think his, so his physicality's been there like his dad's obviously coached him all the way up giving him good habits and details that you're going to look for is the talent there to like you want to take a high pick on him yeah progression like he hasn't gone i have gotten this much better from 16 to 17 and the exact same amount better from 17 to 18 and like it's a very clear path but there is improvements in tons of parts of his game little details here and there just absolute monstrous i some of i'm starting to wonder and this could just be some dumb shit but when I'm watching him in the offensive zone and some of the passes that he's trying to create, I'm wondering, is that a brain that's trying to figure something out? Like he knows this is a risky play. He knows it's this, but he's trying to take that next step and he's just got to figure it out because you only learn it through doing it. Like he makes such sophisticated reads at times to the point where I'm not worried about what he can be because he's shown before that he's an extremely intelligent quarterback. He shows it not with extreme high levels of consistency that he's an extremely intelligent player, but he shows that he has that ability to do so. And when you watch him outside of the offensive zone and you're watching him transition the puck and you're watching the off puck routes he takes and you see how he approaches situations and how he creates the conditions he wants and how deceptive he can be, you see it all and it's working together in unison. It's being layered together. And it's just like, okay. And I've already seen him do it in the offensive zone. I, the created or the creation that he's going for might be experimental. It might just be a funk. It might just be whatever, but I don't see more than what three, four guys in this draft that you want to bet on talent wise more. Yeah. I mean, I think that he's one of the most gifted players in the draft class, like just raw gift gifts that you don't find very often. I think that like to answer your question, Greg, the big thing that like I had concerns about Brad Lambert after watching him at the uh, under 18s last year and watching him a bit in the Liga where he was clearly a junior player trying to play in pro hockey, like trying to make fancy plays all the time. Like it was like Ken Johnson, but if Ken Johnson were really, really fast and it's it, it, it can be frustrating, but that's also something that's worth betting on. And you hope that that player can find that balance with development. And I think with Lambert, he kind of has, I mean, I I think with him, he, even just from the first game to the second game I tracked and from time, the time I've been seeing him over the course of the season, he has been making fewer and fewer, fewer objectively dumb plays. Like in the first game I tracked, there were multiple times where he would grab the puck in the defensive end, carry it into the neutral zone and drop pass it to zero people, except an opponent. And, and it's, and he did that a couple of times and like, that's obviously an issue. But again, this is part of the reason I track data. Cause like looking at his data, he's still passing over 80% completion rate. And so if he is making dumb decisions, some of the time, even just for simple execution and passing and creating space, like he's great at doing it and he, and he executes really, really well. I mean, I, I just think that he has all the tools. It's just a matter of figuring out how to put it together to put points on the board. And I think he has been a bit snake bitten here and there, but I do think that there are some things that you could tweak with him. And I don't know. I get the feeling that again, sometimes when I think about the draft, it's like, where are you going to draft? Where are you going to get him? Right? Like if he goes seventh overall, 
I'm, I'm, it's easy. It's easy. It's an easy call for me. If he's if he's there at seventh overall, you draft him and see what happens. You know, if it's second or third overall, I can see why you might be a little bit more hesitant and might want to go in a different direction. But I get the feeling that he's going to slip a little bit and into that sort of William Eklund range of like, he's really good, but just a little bit snake bitten here and there. And I feel like some team will be capitalizing on it. But if he pops off at the World Junior this year, then that's a whole other topic of conversation. And I could easily see that happening. Um, unless there's anything else to add, we'll we'll move on. Yeah, I think we. Uh, I mean, we talked about Miroshenko pretty good. I think uh, Brant Clark maybe is the next one. Oh yeah, how do you feel about Brant Clark not being invited to the World Junior? Uh, well, He's awesome. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> yeah. To see him. Take it away, Greg. <laughs> like everything I see is perfectly fine with that that guy. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's like he's just a kid who's gonna be growing in. He's like dominant wherever he goes. Like he produces. Like he's a smart enough kid to just figure it out. Some people knock on the skating, but I just think you put some strength on it. He's like Aaron Eckblad. Like good enough. Good foot. Like the footwork's fine. Like you, you clean it up at the NHL level. Like they got skating coaches. Like I don't see where the issues are now. Where he is currently, like he's a junior player, big guy. I think he's fine. I don't know. Well, you, you guys probably have better eyes on him at this point in his career, but every time I watch him, he's looked ridiculous in like, Barry. Yes, he has. He's looked quite good I with Barry. Like, I didn't really, like, I don't really pay attention to who's going to be on the team until, like, I look at the camp list and I go, oh, yeah, well, that name seems to be missing. When I first heard Brant Clark was off, I was like, well, that's weird. I wonder who they picked ahead of him. And I looked at the list and I was like, okay, wait, how did, what? He is... I don't want to say objectively, but he is better than most of the names on the list. He's a hell of a hockey player. And the reasons that they gave, what was the reason they gave? Uh, it was um, basically like, I, I forget who it was that was asked about it. I think Scott Wheeler asked the question, but it was like, who, you, you didn't take Brad, Brant Clark. And, and I think the answer was more about, he just doesn't have a diversity to his game. Like they want, they want guys who can help their team win in a variety of different ways. And they don't see that with Brant Clark as much as they see it with other guys. So, okay. yeah. Like but then they take Owens Zellweger. Yeah. I mean, Zellweger is a guy who I really <laughs> I, like, I, but I love Zellweger. I think yeah. he's good on the team, but like, I wouldn't take him on the team over Brant Clark. Right. Or like, you have, you take really both. Like you take, take both. both and you're very happy about it because the, you have a cr offensively creative blue line and Zellweger's just amazing transitionally. So what doesn't Clark do? Well, yeah, that's what I kind of wanted, wanted to touch on. Like I, on, I, I, first of all, he should be on the team. Like, I think that that, like Sam, you said it wasn't like objective, but I think it is like, yeah, he it should, probably is. after the under 18 that he had, like, I think his under 18 was very, very good last year. It wasn't as good as some people portrayed it in my opinion, but it was extremely good. And I think that he did showcase some of his strengths and weaknesses. But the, the thing that really confuses me about this is that it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't know. I, I don't really perfectly subscribe to the fact of you have to have three left-hand shot D and three right-hand shot D to make it make sense. You just have to know who's playing which side and what traits they have that can help them play that side one way or the other. Like, playing your offhand is more difficult in some ways, in some situations. And you have to be... You have to make up for that difference in other areas. But for Brant Clark, he should... played that offhand. Yep, 
like his entire season sure and brant clark is a right-hand shot defenseman and they only brought two like they've and one of them is vincent iorio who i watched quite a bit last year and watched a game where he was the opponent this today and I don't know in what universe you live in where Vincent Iorio is a superior right-hand shot defenseman than Brant Clark. Like the only universe yeah. in which I can see that is if you see it, if it's, yeah, but if you see it through the, through the lens of Vincent Iorio is not as aggressive offensively as Brant Clark is. Therefore he's safer defensively. Therefore we're bringing him to an important international tournament. Whereas in my view, Brant Clark does have defensive shortcomings, but so does Vincent Iorio. And what you're getting in Brant Clark is extra offense out of him and an extra sort of offensive gear. You know, you can quarterback a power play with him, even if you don't want to. He's a great top four guy to have on that roster just to boost the offense of that team. Not that they necessarily need it, but he's a great player. And I think, though, like you asked about what his weaknesses are, and I do think that his skating is a bit of a concern, and I do think that his puck management is hit or miss, but as a puck carrier and as a skilled offensive guy jumping up from the blue line, he's fantastic. And I think, though, they are, they're looking at him and going, yeah, but what about preventing defensive entries? Which last year for me was a weak point for him. Like, he was playing pro against Slovakian pro competition, which, sure, you have to take that with a grain of salt. But he had trouble shutting down those defensive entries. And I get the feeling that Hockey Canada does not want to be in a situation where with a minute left in a gold medal game against Russia, they put out their top pair defense pair of like Caden Gooley and Brant Clark and Russia attacks the right side of the ice or I guess their their left side of the ice because Brant Clark is the right hand shot defenseman and they know that he can be a target because he can be on a, be beat on a defensive entry. And next thing you know, the game's tied. Like I, I get the feeling that that's the line of thinking, but which it probably is, but like I, a very simple solution. If you're worried about that, don't put him out there and put him out there for all the other parts where he can help you. It's just like, no they, matter what I, I know, I, you're probably right with where you're coming from. It's the only way I can make sense of it. It's the only way I can make sense. It's so logically flawed. You can just poke a bunch of little holes in it. Like, as a junior player, and this is a junior tournament by and large, since it's U20, Brant Clark is one of the best defensemen you can find. He's, like, he's perfect for junior hockey. He's yeah. Watch him in Barry. He's utterly dominating on a shift-by-shift yep. basis in some games. It's just ridiculous what he's doing. You don't have whatever concerns you may have about his projectability or whatever scouts might have been lower on him, or it's not about the scouts, it's not about the projection. It is like today, yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's about today, and he's better than them all, exactly. It's whatever reasons you might not like Clark. That's NHL. This isn't NHL. It's dumb, and we should move on. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's it is a bit silly. Yeah, I mean, they're probably gonna win anyway, right? Like, they're probably gonna win anyway. I mean, I'm I'm half joking, but uh, I disagree. I think it's one of the weaker teams they brought. It I'm is. A bit they brought a, they brought a lot of shutdown defensemen. That's in, that's that yeah, that's for they, sure. They realize that they're not the best team and they're about to like trap every single one. And yeah. Trap their way to try to get gold. Like that's how yeah. it feels like to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, didn't that happen last year at the World Juniors? I feel like a lot of their games were pretty low scoring, like against high end teams. And then in the U.S. game, they just got stomped. I could be wrong, but I feel like I remember that happening. I need to Google it, but 
I could be wrong. Uh, but anyway, we can move on because I'm sure there will be other questions about the World Juniors. Uh, William Keane asks about the Buffalo Sabres prospect pool and how Owen Power is doing in Michigan. Playing with that much talent doesn't make it hard to evaluate the jump to the next level. So Buffalo, I think, like... First over- off, they made a great decision by sending him back to Michigan. Yes, yeah, 100%. That, that, that was... 100%. Everyone in the... Any hockey person can agree that that's a good decision. So I think they did the right asset management with Owen Power. Yes. To send 100%. him back. And I... I think, um, he... Sorry. No, go ahead. I think that he... It, it's not necessarily harder to evaluate whether or not he's going to make it into Michigan next... Or whether he's going to be able to adjust the NHL next year. You just need to be able to identify which plays on the ice he's actually involved in and what his role and how the play unfolded was. And not just look at point totals, which might come from something else. Where it, The thing with Owen Power and what I was worried about before is just his incoming sense for pressure in the defensive zone can just be not first overall pick worthy at all sometimes. And it's gotten better. But it's not fair yet, and it's just something you gotta have to keep developing with him. And so, yeah, well, I, speak, my friend. I think that it's actually not a, a big deal at all. Like, yeah, there's a ton of talent on that Michigan team, but like, no, no offense to them, but like, they're not the best team in college hockey right now. Oh shit! Like, if you watch them, they're good. Like, they're definitely top, top five, top, top six but they are not the best team in college hockey right now. Then who's the biggest wagon in college hockey? I think they're pretty... I forget who's ranked one, two, and three, but like... I thought Minnesota Michigan State's was ranked number one. Oh, oh yeah, Michigan's Minnesota does have a pretty good team. Like, there's some really nice teams out there. But, I mean, like, just because you have young talent... like That's true, it. yeah. It's like, I, I compared to Edmonton Oilers in the 80s, like, they had to learn how to win. Do they get it right now? Like, right. I feel like they've been set up for that success because they had a few guys that played with them last year. You know, those three big guns. But they're also, like, one of the youngest teams in college hockey. Also true. Yeah. So, talent, yes. But now they're learning how to play and win. Right. And that's a process. Which is a, exactly. Like, they, I think they lost their last... No, they, they beat Niagara the last two, but... No offense, Hope, yeah, no offense. Yeah, yeah. But, like they've, I mean, when they play good teams, they're close games. They're in them. But where does it fall? So right. I think that they're those guys are exactly where they need to be in their development curve. Like they're not going out and stomping teams that are very good. But they're you know they're playing against you know not grown men but definitely men. You know, most of the, most of the top teams right now are they're all twenty three to twenty five year olds. So, I think Power is perfectly fine with where he's at and how he's developing, and he's a good spot. Like Narado's a great assistant coach. Like that was a sweet pickup by University of Michigan. Like you're taking Detroit's skills guy who clearly has developed quite well a lot of the <laughs> talent that's showing off this year. Yeah. Like, Yes, you know, they get a lot of talent because they're Michigan, but also I think they're developing it quite well. So I don't see an issue with where they're going. I think they're exactly at that nice little sweet spot where they're probably a little bit better than everyone, and it allows them to tinker and get ahead of the game and really develop maximum. You're not hampered because they're behind the speed of the game. So I, I don't see any issues with it. Do you guys see any issues with, no. with him translating? I mean, what, what's been... I think Chell's not a developmental league. 
Yeah, no. Bull, bull crap. <laughs> like, like, look at Toronto. Like, come on. That, that team is, is evolved. Like, it's unbelievable how they've evolved in the last two years. I mean, exceptions exist for it takes almost some, anything but like, like that. Team... But, like, for the most part, no. Most teams can't even develop players in the NHL properly. I'm a Montreal's Canadian or Montreal well, Exactly. Canadian You're in the wrong market. Have, like, you look at Buffalo, Don Granato has done amazing. Conversation. I mean, to, to just close on power, I mean, I... Like, my video report I did on him basically ended with, I hope that the NHL team that drafts him knows what to do with him. Because I think that if you play your cards right, you could have a heck of an offensive defenseman there. Like, my angle was that you don't draft him to play defense, really. Like, he's going to be a defenseman, but his defensive game just needs to be adequate. And his best assets are when the puck is on his stick and he's allowed to sort of run train over the opponent. So, I get the feeling that he is going up that direction more than I thought he would, uh, rather than saying, hey, you know, take her easy and, and, and maul guys because you're six foot six. when in reality he's playing more of a finesse game from what I've been able to watch of Michigan this year. I mean, the defensive issues I think are still there, but the offense is more prevalent. Like, he just was very not super involved last year, which kind of spooked me, but now it seems like he has a little bit more confidence at the college level, and, and hopefully he can keep pushing that and carrying that forward. Um, but I don't really have any super big concerns about him. Like he was still in my top 10 easily. And he was one of the best players in last year's draft. I just felt that there were blatant issues that weren't really lining up with, with what I was seeing or hearing from other people. I, I think he's finally in, in, I can't say finally cause, cause he's been around the steel, which is a great organization. So yeah. he's just been around all of the right people the entire way. And as long as Don Granado and Matt Ellis are still there in Buffalo, like they're going to develop him unbelievably well throughout yep. this process. Like I am very high on Owen power and anyone who's in the Buffalo system right now. Cause I think that maybe not down, down yeah, the line on the Buffalo system right now. I think it's actually like for once it actually is worth the hype that it's starting to get. <laughs> Yeah, I think they have the organization in a better spot. I mean, I still have questions in many spots with the Buffalo Sabres, uh, but I think the NHL club itself and the coaching staff is fantastic at developing young players and getting the most. Like Don Granado, like I'm not going to say I'm not biased because I think he's <laughs> one of the top coaches. Like, had it not been for him getting cancer, like he'd be like a Mike Sullivan type coach right now, like just revered hmm. amongst other NHL coaches and players. So we're going to move on. Uh, Thomas Gagne, your question about Jakob Hoosier. I did take a brief look at him. Uh, didn't really see a whole lot, but I'll take another look for, for you. For you for, uh, there will be no live stream next week, but the week after I'll take a look for you. Uh, Luke says, any thoughts on Brennan Othman and Corson Kuhlman's not getting World Junior Camp invites? Personally, I'm not surprised about Kuhlman's, but uh, Othman does surprise me a little bit. I thought as a bottom six guy, he might be able to fit in. But I was also not the biggest fan of Brennan Othman um, last year. But I thought he would get an invite for sure. But I don't know. It, neither of those guys not going breaks my heart. But I think Othman probably should have gone. Yeah, pretty much my thoughts exactly. Othman is probably a guy that I would have ended up putting on the team. But I would have envisioned him in a bottom six role. Yeah. He's not like one of the major guys. I'm also... Like, I was really low on Othman relative to others, and I watched him in the OHL this year, and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I was being yeah. too harsh on certain things. He's been, he's been good this year. Like, again, he should have gotten an like, invite, but 
whatever. It was really hard watching him in Europe last year and trying to figure out what his identity was. I can see it more in the OHL, and I'm like, okay. But it's just personally, it's just not my guy, I guess, in terms of relative to just some of the other names that were on there. Like, uh. Yeah. So next question is kind of fun from Jack Olson. I know not all the rosters are out, but who do you think wins places and shows at the World Junior this year? And which team would you say is a sleeper team? So I think this is the U.S.'s season to lose. I think it's the United States through and through. Their team is bonkers, I think. A lot, a lot of talent on that team. I think Canada will be there, but I think a lot of it will hinge on their goaltending and staying out of the penalty box. Like, if that team can stay out of the penalty box and they get some saves, then I could easily see it, them being a competitive team. But I also think Russia has a strong team as well. Um, but I think U.S.-Russia. But I think it's a U.S. tournament to lose, personally, based on what they've put on their roster. My question, and I think someone was talking about Sweden, is, like, what do you guys think about that team? Like, they've like under- as well. What their have you done for me lately? <laughs> yeah, their goaltending is a bit questionable. Like, uh, you usually so need a good Sweden. goalie to win. Like, or at least Sweden, someone to get hot. So all should, we, no, it's fine. Sweden, all I'm going to say is Sweden should be amazing, but I have also watched international Swedish hockey. Season. He gets it. So Sam gets it. Or Sorry, international Swedish hockey recently. And uh, I don't know. I'm not going to trust that's going to turn around until I see it turn around. Until then, I the, mean, Mikael Holm is the Swedish eye I trust more than anything. And if he's just like, fuck the national team, then it's just whatever. Yeah. What what are you seeing wrong with them, Sam? Or sorry, or Willie, you can jump in on this. Like, what do you see wrong with Sweden? I feel like they've got some really nice prospects. I don't know. Is it an identity thing? Like, is it just the, the players don't play like themselves on the team. You yeah. watch them in club it, play. They're you totally different. They could be, and then you see them on the ice, and it's just stagnant and dead and low energy. Yeah. It's just, I don't know what the cause is. I actually don't have a clue. I, I don't think it's tactical. Yeah. It's just, it, they, they, they just have no energy. Like, they don't – they. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've watched guys like Simon Robertson, Simone Robertson, like dangle the pants off of guys in junior hockey in Sweden or rip shots top shelf and, and, and you know, scorn big time goals. And you watch him, for an example, in the international tournaments and he's invisible. Like he's not doing anything. He's not moving his feet. He's not showing the skill. He's not showing the shot. He just has nothing in the tank. And that can be copy-pasted for pretty much every major Swedish player. Like Isaac Rassin last year at the under-18s was not the player I remember seeing him against junior junior competition at all. Uh, you know, it's 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 ubiquitous. Like, it's, it's, it's simple-sounding. Like, it's like, oh, all the guys just seem like they don't care. It's like they're not being motivated. And it, it, it just seems like a, a psychological thing rather than a talent thing. And, I mean... Was their streak broken last year at the World Juniors of winning preliminary round games? I don't remember. I'm yeah, going to look it they up. They lost one in overtime. They lost one in overtime. Uh, the page is loading now, but I trust you. So I don't know. Like Maybe they can get back on the horse and, and keep her going. But uh, yeah, they yeah, oh they lost, they lost twice. The, the U18 and the Holenka Swedish rosters were just flat. They, yeah, they were just yes. flat. Yeah, even it the Holenka. Like players who... Like 
the idea of playing for the national team tends to be something of an inspiration for so many junior players. And it's like Sweden shows up like it's a burden. Not saying that that's how the players think or anyone in the organization, or I guess not organization, but you know what I mean? It's not like how they think, but it's just from an outside perspective, watching it, that's what it looks like. I, I don't know how to speak on it more than that because it's so... Just so, so I got a off. quick question on it for, for you guys. Like, yes. In the past, Sweden is known to possess the puck to non to no stop, go side to side, like a very thinking man's type hockey. And it sounds like everything you've been telling me is like their best players are more run and gun type players nowadays. Like Steve, a little bit burners and like if you take a burner and you try to put on a thinking man system and like that's how you play to the identity, like you're gonna have problems. It'll be interesting to see who makes the team. It, it it'll because I don't see their roster listed yet. It'll be interesting to see who makes the team. But Ramis, you coming? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think so, man. Um, but you know, Sam, like call, call call Stevie Y and tell him get, get him on the phone. Yeah, uh, I got him on speed though. Yeah, I just don't know. Like it's it's hard. It's like they're like that. It's like they're that run and gun type of team, but they don't run. You know, it's it's very <laughs> strange. And so I hope gun from a distance. I just I hope that they are they figure it out. I think there are talented players that can help Sweden play better. I mean they lost two of their preliminary games last year and then lost in the quarterfinal. And I wonder if it's going to be a similar season for them this year at the World Juniors. Like I the question asked about the team that you think could surprise people and I look at the Slovakian team and think maybe they don't win a quarterfinal game. But they might be one of these teams that steps up against a Canadian team in a quarterfinal and pushes them against the rope. Like, I look at their group, and they're young, but they do have some guys, especially up front. Like, I'm looking down the list here. Martin Kromiak, uh, Dalibor Dvorsky is a top prospect for next year's draft. I think he's the leading scorer in Sweden's under-20 level this year. Uh, they've got they've got Philip Mishar, who's one of the smarter players up the middle that I've tracked this season. Alexi Mikluka, who is quite skilled and, and fun to watch as an offensive player. Uh, Servak Petrovsky is off to a pretty good start in the OHL this year. Yuri Slavkovsky, of course, everybody knows who he is. Um, and then on defense, you've got a decent group of guys like Simon Nemish, Marco Staka, Samuel Knazko. Like, that's... David Goalie. They have... They have uh, Simon Lakotsi, is that the guy that they'll probably be playing? He played most of the games last year, I think. Um, they have a goalie. That's a team to watch out for. Okay. Think yeah. About, like, Nemec is, like, I don't know. He seems like a kid who could potentially jump to the NHL as soon as he gets drafted. Maybe, but but he's a very good – he'll be very good against junior competition. I have no Absolutely. doubts about that. So it, This team almost reminds me of that Finland year where, like, Rasmus – Rastelainen actually looked like a decent hockey player. <laughs> yeah. Sweet backhand, five-hole finish yep. to win it. Like I remember that. Was, that. Like, that's what it reminds me of. But they also had UC Soros in that. Yeah. Yeah, so... Like, you, you need that... Like, they don't have enough depth, obviously, on the roster. But, like, the top-end guys, like, you can run Nemec for, you know, half, half the game easily. Yeah. And now you're, you know, because... Look, like, it doesn't matter what the u.s brings what canada brings like you can only play five guys at a time yeah so like i mean i'm and just by process of elimination right like austria is probably going to be a non-factor germany is probably going to be a non-factor uh the czech republic 
I don't think their team is going to be particularly fantastic, even if they bring my boy Yuri Tiachek. Uh, Switzerland, I don't think, is going to be a factor. Slovakia might surprise some people. Sweden has been underperforming internationally. Finland, I don't think their team is going to be phenomenal, but they could have some good players. Guys like Samu Tuomola, Vili Koivinen, Atu Ratu should be there. Brad Lambert could be there. They might do it, but again, goaltending could be an issue for them. Russia should have a good team, but it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. At the World Juniors here, like, Um, at this point, because all all I'm hearing is, like, there's going to be some talent, but there's a lot of teams. Canada's got Kosa, and he's been pretty good. And if he's got a good team in front of him, he can keep the puck out. I don't know who else will be bringing that level of a goaltender, right? Like, the U.S. is going to have... uh, what's his name? Comesso. Like Jack Campbell was not. Yeah. Great. Like if you go back and watch that gold medal game, like he's on his ass for at least three of the goals. Yeah. Um, like trust me, I'm not looking for like world beater type, you know, Askarovs where they're just going to completely one man band shut down the U S well, Askarov is eligible. <laughs> so he may yeah. very well be there. So right, Askarov. Wait, is Volsta not going? Oh, Wallstead will probably be there for Sweden. That okay? So yeah, there will be some good goaltending in this like, tournament. Because that would be my pick for best goalie at the tournament if I'm picking somebody. Askarov, Actually, wait, no, Askarov's going. I'm taking Askarov. That's that's probably the best three trio of goaltenders. Yeah. Maybe ever. I forget. I forget how young all these guys are. I've been watching them play for so long. I forget how young they are. Um, okay. Uh, well, uh, we'll pe- we'll move past the question about Sweden being dark horses because we just talked about how they probably aren't. Um, do you feel like some players are overlooked due to team systems they play in? Yes. For example, prospects that are playing in the SHL, how much of a factor does playing for certain teams have on de- development? I mean, I think I, I think a lot, but I think I think it depends on It's all context. Yeah, it's all context. It's evaluation. Like this is all kind of factored in. I mean, there's definitely like guys that play more, there's more bias. It's just yeah. the same as like if you're standing in a rink, whatever end you're on, like you're going to mention either defensemen or the forwards that are attacking yeah. on that end or defending if you're on that end like just that little bias, but I feel like the best scouts and talent evaluators, and you guys are definitely in this, like you understand how that role fits into everything. And like, how does that fit into the development piece going beyond that year? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's another one of those reasons why I track my own data because then I actually have the documented evidence of what's working and what might not be working. And you can explore why, I mean, I think, I think that, the biggest factor that can affect development is in a lot of situations playing time and who you're playing with you know like if you like there are ways where i can look at data and identify okay this is a guy who's trying to drive a lot of different offensive things for his team and there's just no one there to help him or there's nothing going his way or just this weird stuff keeps happening and 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 it just holds him back um and i think you can identify that in data and it's kind of more difficult to pick that out with your eyeballs um, I mean, it's also very, very difficult for a kid to get comfortable when he's playing three, four, five minutes a night in somewhere like the SHL. But what I will also say is that it is pretty clear, and Greg, you and I bonded over this, like, you can pick out a guy, I think you can pick out a guy who is clearly showing potential and clearly an effective player with the minutes they're given, even if they're only playing seven minutes. And and the guy I'm thinking about is Lucas Gustafson, who 
in five, six, seven minutes of ice time some nights in the USHL showed that he can be effective and showed that he can be a, 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 a really solid 200-foot defenseman. But it, it, it's so hard because if he plays seven minutes a night for three seasons straight, that's hampering his development. Like, that just objectively will do so. Luckily, he's playing more this year. But, it's it again, like you said, it's all about context. Um... So we can move forward. Dayton has a question about Matvey Michkov. Uh, isn't Michkov signed in the KHL until 25-26, so he can't play in the NHL until after? I don't believe that's true. I'm under the impression that this is Russia. If you come with enough money, they'll let guys walk. I don't think Michkov will stick around in the KHL unless SKA St. Petersburg pays him way more money than they're comfortable doing, uh, or an NHL team pays for some sort of out clause uh, that they can just insert in his contract and they give him $3.8 million a year or whatever it is on an entry-level deal. Unless I get, they coerced him, like, there's no way he's not going to make the jump. Like, he's just too Yeah, big. I get the fe- Like, I mean, I get the feeling that, like, Shakir Mukamudulin... One year? Like, uh, I mean... Yeah. He's going to be a Kuznetsov, Tarasov type thing. Like, he's, no. He's, he's, like, so... Like, he should be playing in the KHL probably as a 16 his marketability, if the NHL knows how to market players by 2023 or whatever, like I feel like his marketability right off the bat will be enough where he'll be making a pretty comfortable living pretty much immediately if he does come over. Whereas, I don't know, it would be up to him, right? Like You don't want to make a 17 or 18-year-old kid leave their home country they've been in forever before they're ready, but he's probably ready to play in the NHL if he wants to, I guess is the point. Um, and I feel like he's he was, not, he's not seeing that out. If that's the, the contract. Yeah. And he's I not coming over in the 26, 27 season. Yeah. And I, I think that, I think that, uh, you can, you can make things happen in Russian hockey. Like Shakir Mukamadulin just got out of a KHL contract mid season to sign with, with New Jersey. And then New Jersey just turned around and loaned him back there for two seasons. So you can make things happen. I don't think anything is guaranteed when it comes to the KHL. Uh, Jesse Barre says, uh, oh yes, the Rangers fan, yes. Uh, thoughts on big Capocacco? All of a sudden he's scoring with eight points in his last seven games, had a really bad start to his season. I haven't seen... Time for draft plus... Yes. Time for players, and he's draft plus three. It's like, yep. yeah, this seems like a par for the course. It is, uh... Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a ton of Rangers hockey, I don't know about you guys, this season. Um... But I've I noticed a few lately, actually, just to watch Lafayette, and I keep noticing Kako, and he looks fantastic. Yeah, looks awesome. He looks like the player back in 2019. I've noticed their sometimes takes a few years. Well, I've noticed yeah. their younger players look more fleet of foot. You know, like guys like Lafreniere and guys like guys like Kako. They're not these sort of plodding physical guys that I think were under the sort of David Quinn world, whereas now I think they're being given a bit more breathing room and allowed to sort of move their feet a little bit more. They're leaned out a little bit, you know, trying to, to, to move a little bit quicker and be more dynamic. I don't know. That's just the basic thing that I've noticed with them. Um, it's clearly helped Kako, and I think time and experience is helping him there. Uh, and again, I say this almost every week. The NHL is really, really hard. It takes it takes time for a lot of guys to, to figure out how to make it work. Um, some guys, it, like Oliver Shillington, it took him however many years, five years, to, to really earn those ice mi- those minutes. And it took Daryl Sutter, which is weird. Um, but anyway. <laughs> of all the guys. That's yeah, the of all the guys. I, I think that the difference between years past and now is just the fact that they have enough guns in New York 
to actually run. Like it's the same thing we talked about with Dalian. Like he had nothing, so he gets shelled. Well, Kako's touching the puck. He's feeling better. Like yeah. everyone's kind of feeling it. Like if you watch Lafreniere, Sam, Sam probably talked on this. If you watched him, like, obviously he wasn't gonna never. He was never gonna be like that number one franchise type guy, but he does look good. Yeah, I honestly do. I was convinced he was that guy at the draft time. I still see the flashes where I'm just like, you are a first line play driver. Like that is what you are when you are at your best. I kind of don't. Yeah. I think he will too. I kind of just, I watched him. I still saw some of the problems from last year. Still saw a lot of what I loved in junior though also see just him doing good things and players not being smart enough to know what he's doing. Yeah. That sometimes is just a problem when you think the game on that, like, 99th percentile that he arguably might be thinking it at. Uh, I don't know. I just kind of – I think I'm not – I mean, I don't watch a lot of Rangers hockey, and it's just a pure coincidence that I watched him lately. So <laughs> Well, I, that worked out. All, I, worked yeah, out well. it did. I wanted to revisit, but, like, I want to – back in the spring. He seems like Tyler Sagan to me. Yeah, maybe. He's just working his way up the lineup and like he'll eventually be a first line player and a damn good one at that. Yeah. It's just what I said about Kako. It just it takes time, man. Yeah. Um okay, so Austin Brass of the uh, Scouting Discord server representing, uh he's asking about evaluating skating. Uh keeping it simple by saying how do you do it and what are red flags and does size impact the importance of certain skating attributes? So, who wants to tackle that one is, first? Oh, sure, I'll jump. Yeah, are we gonna, are we gonna be here until midnight? Like, no, <laughs> this, this could take one, a while. I think all three of us are pretty much on the same page with this one, and it's just how do you do it? You, I don't look at the actual skating itself. I look at the mobility and how they move around the ice. That's what's more important. Are they getting to the spots they need to be, or are they using their skating in practical ways? And you know, like certain biomechanics might be off or little details here and there. And it, it could be annoying or frustrating to see, or you could see little potential limitations caused by it. But I think it's also really easy to hyper-focus on them and yeah. kind of lose sight of the bigger picture, which is, well, are they using their feet right? Because I, I remember so many people were fading Cole Cylinder last year because they're like, look at those feet. And it's just like, well, look at them now. <laughs> like, I, I am definitely on the bus and i've gotten a lot of crap for this of being like skating is one of the most overrated things at the draft table i just yeah, think it, that you need to have clean feet and like you said sam you, like, you need to get to your spots and if you have those two things then it's a matter of strength and the skating coaches and the lengths they go to to improve their skating these days like very rarely does it hold a player back if they're getting to their spots in junior like if they're not if they're, you can see they're not getting to them in juniors like yeah, that's a flag, but otherwise, like, I don't, for the most part, I think it's, it's way, skating's way overrated. I mean, there's definitely benefits to being a better skater, just like having a better shots. Yeah. Way better. Or being big, you know? Like, like a there's... Kale McCarr who could just, like, dominate the game through his feet. Obviously, there's exceptional value in that, but that's just, there's just exceptional value in every single trait when it's executed at that high a level. Like, he can apply it to do a bunch of different things, but at the end of the day, honestly, that's just Kale McCarr's mind. You could put that the same skating ability on a lesser mind, and you don't have Kale McCarr. And at the end of the day, it's just like, well, then 
what's the point? Skating is only as good as you can use it, just like any other tool. So, yeah. So how yeah. You evaluate it, I guess, getting back to that original question for me, it's just a matter of are you getting to your spots? And then secondly, it's just coaching to clean up like a pivot. Like we don't need to be doing crossover pivots. We need to be doing heel to heel stuff. Like I think when I'm evaluating skating, it's a matter of does this person pick up their feet enough? Yay or nay? That's like the one thing I feel like players have a really hard time to do later in their careers being able to pick up their feet. Like Owen Power, if you go back to watching him in the original USHL, like that's something he struggled with. Now I know from inside sources, like that's something he's worked incredibly hard on. It's just literally at that size, being able to pick his feet up. Like he's had it for a long time and he's figured it out early enough to fix that problem. Like a lot of guys just struggle to do so. Like that's the one red flag I don't like is when guys don't pick up their feet enough and it's just slow slowness of foot. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I've kind of rested on recently is like just calling it skating is almost a misnomer. Like it's not doing a disservice to what you're supposed to be evaluating. So many so many things when I look at what a player's skating is like is what situation are we talking about? Right? Like, are we talking about a defenseman's ability to pivot from forwards to backwards to cover changes in play? Are we talking about a defenseman's ability to cut into the ice with their with their stops and change angles and change directions and generate speed in the complete opposite direction that they were skating a fraction of a second before? You know, like, we're talking about, yeah, are they carrying the puck up the ice using crossovers? Are they carrying the puck up the ice using just raw brute strength and forward strides? Like how are they generating the results that they generate? So I get the feeling that with skating, quote unquote, I don't really, I almost think about it as like, well, forget about boiling it down to that simple. Just think about what the in what situations are the players most comfortable, right? Like, and why? So I don't get too tied up in the real mechanics of it. I do think there is a value in efficiency and making sure that a player's skating stride is efficient and not overworking themselves or overloading muscle groups that shouldn't be overloaded. And that definitely, there are things that you can pick out that you can work on. But in terms of talent evaluation, I definitely don't think about it as skating. It's why I don't have a skating category in my videos. It's boiled down to just move. How does the player move around the ice and manage pressure? That's another thing. You can be the best skater in the world, but if you've got a six foot five Brian Boyle style defensive center draped all over you, what do you do then? Do you use skating to escape that situation? Maybe, but how? Do you try to forward push your way out of that situation? Do you cross over out of that situation? Do you spin back? Do you use a combination of those things? Like, skating can mean so many different things that when it's boiled down to just like, how does this player skate? It almost makes it impossible to get it right. So for me, I always look at it as like, well, where are they comfortable and where are they not comfortable? And where are, and you can pick that out and figure out is there something biomechanical that you can fix or is it that they're skating themselves into too much trouble or they're taking on too much chance too many chances on their own i don't know so i i think of it as like in terms of what red flags are the red flags for me are when the player's overall package just isn't working like that's just the general red flag is like okay I see like a Sasha Pastajov last year. That guy could not skate his way out of, I don't know what the what metaphor I can even possibly think of, but that guy's <laughs> skating is a blatant issue. But the guy made it work because he can face pressure, spin off the pressure, and pass the puck to someone who's open. 
and just maintain possession. Does it translate to the NHL? I don't think so for him um, because of how far he has to go to become at least comfortable at the NHL pace of play. But that doesn't mean he can't. So, but it was a red flag to me with him specifically where it's like, well, I see the production and I can see why some people would have him in their first rounds or something if they're counting points, but I just don't buy it. And so in that sense, it's kind of a red flag, but again, it's, it's so much of it is just like, how does it all intertwine with one another and, 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 and what situations are they comfortable and not comfortable? Um, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Uh, so we have a question also, uh, thoughts on Jack Quinn currently leading the AHL in both points and goals. So I just looked him up. He's shooting 23.4% in the AHL this season so far. Uh, and I just looked on Instat, so grain of salt. He is, he has currently got the one, two, three, fourth worst shot attempt differential, uh, on the team uh, at even strength this year. So, I don't mind Jack Quinn. I have all the hope in the world that he becomes a scoring forward in the NHL. I can definitely see it, but the guy's shooting 24% in the AHL right now. And I don't know. I, I, out what he's shooting. It's like, I feel like I remember him seeing uh, a lot of power play time early and he's yeah. getting a lot of points there. So does it break that out for you? Yep. I can do that. Um, I just remember like with Jack Quinn, the thing was I was never super taken with him. Um, so he's got 12 even strength points, which is pretty impressive. Uh, and that's in 17 games. Like that's good. But again, he's, he's shooting a huge shooting percentage. He's got 10 points on the power play. Uh, anyway, but the, but the thing about him, like I thought a lot of the holes in his game were exposed at the world juniors last year. Like he got completely shut out. He was playing spare forward minutes. Like, you can just tell that when things get ratcheted up and the pace of play increases, he becomes less effective. He's got a great shot, and if you put him in a position to use his offensive tools, he can be great. But there's... And he put himself in that position with right. consistency. And I get the feel... Like, with Peyton Krebs on his line, I feel like I wouldn't worry about him nearly as much. But again, like, I don't mind Jack Quinn, but you also look at who the guys were available... And there are a lot of other guys that I would be way more excited about having if I were a Buffalo Sabres fan this year than Jack Quinn. I mean, I like Jack Quinn, but the whole issue, the whole issue with that draft pick is what are you passing on, right? Like that's, that, that's the big problem. Right. And so I, I don't know. I, I'm sure he'll 2020 draft. Yeah. I'm sure he'll be a good offensive player in the NHL that can score on a power play or something, but I just feel like there were better plays on better players on the board. Like if Marco Rossi doesn't get coronavirus and nearly die, is he on the NHL roster this year? Probably, yes. right? Like, and he's probably he doing pretty darn good because he, after the season he just had and the season he's having now, it's one of the most incredible stories in hockey. I think. Like maybe that's my bias showing, but the guy thought he was literally going to die, and you know, like doctors had to force him not to play, and he missed a bunch of time got hurt again this year, got hurt, I think, again. Like, he's just been dealt so many shitey hands, and and he's figuring it out. Like, if all of this stuff hadn't happened, I, just, I wonder where he would be right now. And we'll see what happens. I mean, if anyone's ever going to come back from such a terrible season like that, it's going to be him because of how hard he works. But I don't know. Uh, but Jack Quinn, like, it's an impressive season, but there's data points that you might be able to poke holes in with. Yeah, I think Holtz was the other one. He went right before him, and that was yeah. also terrible and questionable. 
questionable. I, I, I feel like, I feel like, like, eight, like Rossi, like everyone agrees, like Rossi probably should have been top six. Yeah, probably. Right. Oh, well. But, but if you look at the other, if you take Rossi's name out, is it that crazy nowadays? Uh... Well, I mean, here's who you had to pick from. It was I had, jo- I had John Askarov, Lundell, Jarvis, Holloway, Amarov, Gooley, Reichel, I Amirov. Every single one of those guys from yeah nine to fifteen over Quinn on draft day, and I probably would still do it now. And probably the other one was I had Paterka ranked higher. I I love John Jason Paterka, and if anything, the story in Buffalo should be how impressive he has been. Uh, awesome. this season like he is bonkers um, and I love John Jason Paterka so there's a lot of guys that I would have had on that list ahead of Jack Quinn but again no disrespect to him he was in my first round he was in my I think 2020s range something like that um, but yeah I mean good for him he's having a hell of a year already but I'm not sure it's super sustainable maybe I'll eat those words <laughs> that's another one Dawson Mercer already in the NHL doing pretty darn good um Okay. Oh, man, we are really behind on these questions here. David St. Louis had a thing about Atu Ratu's comp for Mirosh Nishenko, uh saying that uh, Ratu had better tools at a younger age, um, which is my, maybe why they dominated and that he didn't like Mirosh last year. Well, David, that is your opinion. Um, where do you... <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I, I'm just messing I, with I, him. I think we need to... Uh... I don't, I don't want to skip anyone, but we're, we're definitely not making good time here. I no, think, we're not. Uh, we should just pick out maybe some of our favorites. Like for All me, right. it would be Go, uh, Greg. Bedard. But the, what about him? But the World Junior, should he make it, yay or nay? Uh, uh, imagine you could probably come up with an argument, but 16-year-olds playing, and it's just, I don't know, Lafayette didn't look that amazing. Byfield didn't look that amazing when he was super young. I genuinely don't really remember too much. I didn't get to watch much of the World Juniors a year. Wait, did McDavid go at 16? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I just oh, I yeah. didn't watch much that year. Oh, yeah. Okay, so McDavid being the exception then, and if Bedard is truly on that level, then sure, why not? I mean, we'll see what he, if he makes it at a camp or not. If he does, then I imagine you're probably going to see something fun. I just think he's behind on the speed. Like, I just think that he like he's better with talent, and I think probably Shane Wright would be a better pick because like, I believe Wright's not doing so hot, right? Not really. He's, he's but been he also good, has a but terrible he's team. getting a lot. No, he's getting quite a bit better. And I think people are over hating anyways. So I think, I think a lot of people fine. just don't know what type of player Shane Wright is. Shane, Shane Wright's not Connor McDavid. That's yeah. the thing. He's not Connor McDavid. He's not John Tavares. He's not, you know, like Ryan Eugene Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, think, so, like, I think that makes me, sense. I think Bedard should not go because like, why he's dominant i don't think he is ready for u20 best in the world i get the feeling that he's a guy that you maybe bring as like a as like your fourth line or spare forward and you try to rotate him in the lineup when you when you're confident with him like i feel like him playing against some of the lower level teams like he'd have quite a lot of space to play with and like He's so smart, I think, and 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 so crafty at at drawing in pressure and then defusing it by using line mates. Like he's such a great team player, but he also does some crazy individual skill stuff that just blows your mind. So, I don't know. I get the feeling that I wouldn't be surprised if he gets left off the team as like one of the last cuts, um, especially with how Hockey Canada seems to be approaching the team. But 
I mean, it would be interesting to see what he could do at this age, and it wouldn't be unprecedented. Um, and I think that this season, his numbers kind of trail what his actual talent level has indicated from what I've seen of Regina. But we'll see. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Greg, do you have any more favorite questions that you want to want to pull out before uh, before 10 p.m. hits? Uh, couldn't be the one that said thoughts on Cole Perfetti this season in the AHL. Definitely okay. not one of my favorites. Well, you go, you go, you go first. So many times. No, we're going to be here till eleven. You've been, you've, well, you. I don't think we've railed publicly. You, you came in hot to the Google Meet call before the stream and 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 oh, dropped man, in hot with Cole Perfetti. Fire so, going. tell us, tell tell us the audience what you told us the co-hosts. Oh yeah, and. Like, I'm not saying he's a bad player. Like, he's going to be an NHL player. I just don't see the talent level of, like, a really good first liner or even a first liner. Like, I think he's a middle six guy who drives play in the right direction, but he's going to take a little bit longer. Um, I just, like, he doesn't have that factor that really pushes him over the top like you get from an Ehlers. Like, he's a wicked smart guy, so maybe he ends up being, like, I, I like I'm a I'm a huge Lars Eller fan, like like a Lars Eller esque, like just really smart, knows his job, doesn't overextend himself. Like I see that kind of player. I don't see someone who's like a Lucas Raymond where he creates stuff for others very well. Like I think he's very good at taking what is given here and there, he'll jump in, but I just I'm never wowed like, oh man, this guy's gonna make an impact and continue to do it. I just think that a lot of his stuff seems soft to me, but like I, I thought the same thing about Cam Atkinson. Like a lot of his stuff is very soft. Like it just doesn't seem that great. Um, I like to think I'm usually right, but maybe I'm wrong here. <laughs> um, I think Cole Perfetti is a good example of a guy who doesn't have the best set of feet under him, but makes up for it more than enough elsewhere. Like, I don't know. I was impressed with him when I was tracking him a couple of years ago because he managed to maintain control so often moving offensively without necessarily being, you know, being the most remarkable uh, skater. He still managed to be efficient and he was creating a ton. Like he spins off pressure super well. Again, like the question could be, well, can he do it in the NHL? I don't know, but he's doing it pretty well in the AHL right now. Um, Not that that's a guarantee. And I think maybe, yeah, I could see that his lack of pace and, and, and stuff may be a limitation and he ends up in that Lars Eller range and he might be just kind of a useful piece of an NHL team. But I don't know. I, I thought that, that, that he's shown pretty well this season. Um, I've only seen him very briefly, but just his skill level and, and sort of the, the, the rotational mobility to get off pressure and, and create space for himself is interesting. But we'll have to wait and see i suppose uh i don't know sam <laughs> anything to add no i like watching youtube in this debate more than uh, participating in it to be honest yeah, yeah like, he's like he's a good player I, like, I, I'm, I'm on the will side of things for the most part but i get where you're coming from now that well at first i didn't now that i'm hearing you talk about it more i'm, I'm seeing where you're coming from I kind of just want to say, like, I, I want to see how it goes after the next, I don't know, few years. Time will tell. But I would bet on Perfetti reaching the upside or at least reaching close to the upside. I yeah. just, I, like, 
there's guys that are undersized, like Eklund, that get me excited. Like, they have a lot of aspects that make them dynamic. I mean, like, a Johnny Goudreau is a classic example. Like, Perfetti does not remind me of that. Like, I don't think he's that type of player. Like, he like, doesn't open lanes. I think if you're drafting lanes, him for that, like, then you're miscasting him. I think he does open lanes, but just not in the same way that the players that you mentioned did like the, he doesn't share a lot of traits with those. And if he tries to play that game in the NHL while open, yeah, you're probably going to have some problems, but I don't think that's his game. I don't think that's the type of player he is. He's more. Do you guys think he speeds up the game or slows this game down? Slows. To his speed? slows. He slows the game down to his speed, but I think he makes up for it. In that's a, my problem. It, you know, like that's my number one problem with him is like, he always slows it down to his pace, which is not a good recipe for the NHL. I agree, but I kind of think he might be the exception to that because there are some players in the NHL who are capable of slowing it down to their pace. It's just... Yes, capable of doing it, but not like every single time. Fair. I like, see. Yeah. Like, Again, like a player that slows the game from. down a lot and is good at it. Like The only guy I can think of is dry Patrick Cedal. Kane. Yeah, Dreisaitl. I mean, I'm not going to say Perfetti's Where does Dreisaitl kill you? Like He kills you based on his offensive zone movement where he gets lost and he's a killer one-timer. And his rush skills are absolutely elite. Like Perfetti's like rush skills are okay, but they're not elite. Uh I'm trying to think like, of other ones. I just don't ones. see the tools to make up for where he's bad. Like maybe he suddenly becomes a freak athlete, but I don't I don't see that happening. Like like I said, like my upside for him is maybe he gets to the second line by the time he's like 23, 24. I see him. I see... I saw this mentioned one time once and I just keep seeing it more. I don't like player comparisons because I don't know, insert one of 10 valid reasons here, but I see Nick Suzuki in him a little bit. In a way that Suzuki One guy gets to the middle, the other one doesn't. The other one gets the good scoring opportunities consistently, the other one does not. That's the thing. This is why I hate player comparisons, but there's some, it just like the way Suzuki can slow the game down to himself sometimes and just like survey his surroundings and just make the right play, super deceptive body language the whole time. I just see that in Perfetti and it's just like, well, sometimes shit, like if it works, it works. And I think he can make it work. Like I see Perfetti as a smart player. Like I, everyone says that. I just don't think he processes it fast enough. And he doesn't set himself up for good conditions. Like he always falls back into what's given. Like, yeah, just, I mean that's like, that's I just don't fair. see him forcing his will onto any game ever. That's fair, but the thing, the counterpoint for me is like his ability to react is, in my opinion, elite. Like that's what sets him kind of apart a little bit. Is that's his ability? Why I think he's an NHL guy is because he can do that. But yeah. I don't think he ever reaches that first line because he doesn't have the other aspect. Like that's my whole thing. Like I'm right. with you on it. Like I like he's an NHL guy. Like don't get me wrong. I'm 100% with you guys on that. Yeah. It's a matter of where I see the ceiling. I see it, the ceiling very much lower than I feel like most people have. And and I think but that touches on something interesting though is how much we misuse ceiling and like how much we set expectations of of players and, and what their ceiling could be. Like if Cole Perfetti ends up a good second line center for the Winnipeg Jets down the road, that's a great thing. Like that's a great asset to have on your team. And he was picked what 10th overall, like getting someone at 10th overall, that is a night in night out, reliable offensive contributor that you don't want to not have on your team is a good thing. Those are hard to like, those are hard to find. Like you're not going to get a Trevor Zegras at ninth overall every single year. You might get lucky, like you know, if if William Eklund, for example, falls to seventh or something. But 
I look at the guy like Cole Perfetti and go, yeah, I mean, if he went fourth overall, maybe in retrospect, there might be a few question marks, but gosh, I mean, he's, he's, he's doing pretty well. And if he ends up in this sort of good second line range, that's a good thing. First line players are extraordinarily rare. And sometimes in the draft, you just strike gold. Um, I mean, we can have like, arguments. That's my thing. Is like you're you're going for a guy where the floor we all know is is pretty high. Like if you're in that range, like I want to see you reach. Like Quinn Quinn yeah. was not the guy to reach on. Right. But there's other guys that were there that I feel like you can reach on. Like right. What you want to see, and then like I just don't see it again in the player himself to truly. But you're right. Like a ten, if you get a good night in, night out. I just think he's not going to end up being a center. I think he's going to end up being a winger, and he's probably going to be a good third line guy. Like, not quite Galchenyuk esque, but ish. Right. And there's the PTSD. Yeah, yeah, the Galchenyuk PTSD. Sounds like a good point to move this along. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Greg, did you spot your next target, or uh, do you want um, me to pick one? We, we, we got uh, Kravitzov's been talked about quite often here by uh, Jesse Barr. Yeah, he uh, asks me about him every single stream. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Kravtsov has five goals so far in the KHL. He had, he had. I looked. He had, he has five points in two of the games he's played so far. So, uh, and the rest of the games he's been scoreless, I believe. So I don't know. I, I don't see it with Kravtsov. I've said that multiple times. I've went and watched a bunch of his NHL tape and just, I don't know. He's a catch and release shooter. Like that's his job. And he's a, he's a catch and release shooter always has been. And the Rangers didn't make him a catch and release shooter. They tried to turn him into something else and they frustrated him and pissed him off and he left. So I don't know, but uh, there's something there for sure. There's a player there, I think, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, Not, same as same as every week for me uh, with Vitaly Kravtsov. Same as every week. I see two good questions. Well, one is about Cooley making the U.S. Junior Team. Probably not. Yeah, I don't think so. But it'd be fun. A lot of it is because U.S. is loaded. But I think like if he went, he would do pretty decent. Well, like, I no. don't think he'd be bad at the top. Like Logan Cooley is awesome. Yeah, like, he's top I, five he's for me. Top three for me, I think. Yeah. Right now. Next two um, years he'll be there and he'll be very good. I think. Oh yeah. The other one is about Isaac Howard, since pretty much like last year he was incredible. This year the statistics aren't backing it up. How good is he? Yes. I, the answer is yes. I really like Isaac Howard. <laughs> I love Isaac Howard. He's he's got he's got a great set of hands. He's shifty. He's uh, agile. Um, you know he's a creative playmaker as well that I've seen. I mean the goal scoring I think hasn't quite been there. Um, but I don't really mind. I think he's been a really, really interesting sort of dynamic offensive guy that comes and goes. I think that's kind of frustrating, but I have a lot of hopes for him. I don't know. Sam, you've watched him as well. Uh, take it away. I pretty much just what you like. Isaac Howard's got one of the higher ceilings for forwards. Yeah. 100 percent he's one of the more electrifying like in isolation moments he, in isolated moments he's one of the more exciting players in the entire draft right like he makes some plays where you go oh crap like here we go and you know he's just he has a sophisticated approach to the game as well it's it, it's not i don't want to say it's mature because it's still very junior hockey like i have more talent than you based yeah but you can see just so much of where the tr- uh, fat will be trimmed 
And you, I don't really think of him as a player, like when I watch him as someone who is over-reliant on winning those micro battles and those 1v1s and escaping those that like tight incoming pressure from two different angles. Like he can do all of that and do so in a way that doesn't just like completely hold the team back, which is probably one of the things I look for the most in those high-end talent players like Isaac Howard in the first place if they're not consistently driving play for their team all the time okay well what are they doing are they harming their team or are they pretty much just like making it a neutral thing at best or an advantage for the team or neutral at worst an advantage for the team at best and I think Howard fits that description pretty well the upside is monstrous I won't say it's Logan Cooley high but it is it's high. high. It's yeah. high. Like well, he's you... extremely talented. Yeah. Probably more talented this year than he was last year. The points don't show that, but like he he can uh like he can make highlight real plays that you don't see a ton of out of other players in the draft this year that I've seen. Like I'm just looking at his track data now and it's absolutely wild. Like he's got he's got forty percent involvement in offensive transitions, control on eighty two percent of them. I think this is two games as well. Um, his offensive threat, which is dangerous passes plus dangerous shot attempts, is over thirty. So every thirty seconds he's on the ice, he's either putting a puck to the center of the ice or taking a shot from the center of the ice. Um, like all of these things are really really positive. Defensively, he's involved in you know seven percent defensive transitions, which is low. He's pretty small and and not the quickest guy. Um, and that, but he does shut them down pretty often, um, especially with the stick checking. So I, I think there's a lot to like with Isaac Howard for sure. Uh, who, have, who's, who's got next? Uh, a few questions Go. on Ryan Tevberg or however you pronounce it. Oh, his Ryan Tverberg, Yes. Which uh, we all were already talking this morning uh, yep. about him and I don't say we know him the best, but I went of course and watched video as soon as I saw that, like, Okay. Yeah. Why is a seventh rounder getting? And you know, it's not the la- it's not the first time. It's happened weirdly before. Um, I just feel like he's aligning with Canada's like we're just gonna out grind you yep. and out effort you tight. One hundred percent. That's what he seems like. Obviously, he didn't make the roster yet, but even just getting the invite like that just seems like the vibe Canada's giving off this year. Right, and yeah. if you like, and oh, if it comes Canada. to. It's, it seems kind of silly, but if you come down to Connor Bedard on your fourth line and Ryan Tverberg, I could see the argument that you skip out on, on Connor Bedard. Like, you just put a guy on your fourth line who is a fourth line player. Like, he's a hardworking, gritty guy who can shoot the puck. Like, he does have some offensive tools, but his job is basically just go out, grind the game down, and if you find some space in the offensive zone, then let it rip, you know? And I think that's perfectly reasonable, whereas with Connor Bedard, if he doesn't bring you that grindy-style game on the bottom six, which if that's what Canada, Hockey Canada wants, then that's what Hockey Canada wants, then you're not going to bring him, right? Like, you're going to bring the guy who can do that and do it well. So, I mean, I don't mind Tverberg. He is off to a heck of a start in the NCAA this year. Um, I mean, he's he's outperforming what I expected of him for sure. Uh, but... Yeah, I don't know. We'll see if he makes the team in the first place, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him make it as like a depth forward on that team. Yeah, like, like the, the last uh, guy. Yeah. The question about Matt Savoy being, is he the offensive play driver for the Winnipeg Ice, or is he just playing with a really good team? And I think Savoy yes. is very clearly... Well, he, it's the answer, both. 
Yeah, both. The, the answer is both, but like if I had to pick one for what for when he's on the ice, he's the play driver. Like Matt Savoy is ridiculous. He well, I will say that he could be ridiculous. He is very talented. The only hole in his game that I can really say that concerns me is that he doesn't get inside for his own shots. He especially with the puck on his own stick. Like he is a pretty good transition driver, not super heavily involved, but pretty good at it. But in the offensive zone, he's such a he's a great perimeter playmaker and, and such a great passer in the offensive zone. But getting pucks inside and shooting them himself, which he can shoot the puck like very few others, he just seems to have struggled with that from what I've seen. Um, but the potential with him is 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 enormous. I think. I agree, so, and I've only uh, seen him skate like twice. And, uh, <laughs> he's so often, dynamic. He, he's a bus driver and a, a, a dang good one at that. Yeah, yeah. I think outside of maybe like like Lambert and Cooley have this argument as well. Maybe a few other players. I'm, I don't have the list in front of me, so I'm mostly just going off of memory right now. But I think you could argue moving flaws be damned that Savoy is probably one of the most dynamic if not the most dynamic forward in the draft at times and i just i watch him and i i agree with the doesn't get his own shot in the center of the ice but i'm not really concerned about it because it's there is development after the draft and he can do everything already he has all the tools and he knows how to use them he's just not doing them he's just not using them to do that yet i don't really know why but he's so smart in other situations where it's just like i don't think it's hard for a coach to just be like hey matt uh we want to really work with you on just getting on the inside with a puck on your stick and getting those shots off he's gonna be like no my (laughs) game is better the way it is so on that note Someone asked, are we surprised he didn't get invited to camp for Team Canada? And my answer to that is no. no. I'm not surprised. I, I'm not surprised on two fronts. D plus ones. Like, yeah. It's, it's, unless, you can't yeah, just bring the – you can't. I mean, I know he's been very good in the WHL this year in terms of point production, but you can't – You can't bring all the draft eligibles. Yeah, you can't bring all the draft eligibles. And there is an argument to be, to be had about guys who – are draft eligibles being maybe not quite ready for that stage yet. And it is a big deal, especially for Canadians. I think, I mean, I I also see why some people don't have Matt Savoy as high as people like Sam and I, I I absolutely can see it. He is, I mean, if hockey, if, if, if hockey Canada, it will, don't listen to Sam. He's a dummy. (laughs) Uh, If you, if you, if you watch Matt Savoy play, like, it, it it pains me to say it, but he is pretty soft defensively. He does kind of have an inability of really shutting down defensively, and he's a center. Like, I think he's at his best playing up the middle and as an offensive center. But Hockey Canada, I don't think, with this tournament, is very interested in those types of players, especially if they're 17 years old. I think that they're looking at it and going, there's a litany of other players that we trust more that we can put on this team right now. Savoy can go next year. He can go into the year after if he may, if he's there. But the argument for me is, well, if he's not in your top six, where is he going to play? Because I don't think he's a good bottom six option. And just don't have the headache and don't bring a guy that you don't think is going to make the team. Again, it's like you could say, yeah, I'd rather have Matt Savoy than Ryan Tverberg. Sure. But if you're talking about team construction... 
Verberg on your fourth line makes a lot more sense than Matt Savoy on your fourth line, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, I'm not particularly surprised. It's unfortunate, but I'm not surprised. It's about winning this year at this time with the players that are at this stage where they are now, yeah. not where they're going to be. Yeah. It's about winning. Yeah. <laughs> win, just win. You're baby. trying to win now, not win later. You know, yeah. short window. Exactly. Uh, we got time for one more question. So uh, does anyone have any ready to go or uh, do we, do we just pick one or uh, do we just call it a night? <laughs> I think Sam should ask us a question since he knows us so good and then he can watch the entertainment that is will and greg going back and forth so he can uh Uh enjoy the the rest of his night off Uh oh greg have you ever watched josh roy can't say i have okay next (laughs) damn it you Uh, tried i mean if you really need to fall back on something Neil andre all day oh yeah you know what oh god i've been waiting i've actually been waiting to hear this so amuse both the fans and me because all right, Will can start on this one. Uh, okay, so I will admit that I have not seen enough of Emil Andre from this specific season to, to, to have enough ammunition to go at Greg on this. But I see Emil Andre, and I have never felt that he projects extremely well to the NHL. If a guy, if I mean, it sounds simplistic, but if I'm looking at a five foot nine defenseman, especially one that plays like physical first, like Andre does a lot when I've seen him, I want to see him moving really really well around the ice like four-way mobility fluidity transitioning from one direction to the next really being able to transmit body weight into an opponent for a body check uh and and being able to manage the puck effectively i haven't really seen that out of him he's playing on a team that should not be in the all svenskin they should be in the shl and i remember watching him in the shl last year thinking that he was a little bit outmatched he was smaller than everyone else he was slower than a lot of the guys um and again like i wasn't surprised that he slipped in the draft to where he did and and we'll see what happens but i just see a lot of things where if he were 6'2 or 6'3 i think there would be a lot more time for me with him and i know that's a stupid argument because it's just boiling it down to size but just based on his traits and how he plays i just don't i just don't know what his trajectory is but greg uh tell me i'm wrong well, first off, a five foot nine puck moving defenseman that Will doesn't like—it's—it's it's kind of a, a wild thing that you don't like him. So I'm—I'm I'm a little concerned in my argument. I—I've uh, had I've drank the Kool Aid. The Kool Aid is—is drunken. But uh, for for me, he just does so many things that no one else can do. It's kind of like Dalene, where you're like, who else in the world can possibly pull that off? um interesting he uses his confidence <laughs> i mean he, you're spot on like he's awful and terrible and there's a lot of problems that seep up in this game but when he's feeling himself even just a little bit he does things that no one else can do um the the one concern i do have and i'll, I'll give it to you is how he plays the game with his size like i, I wrote a piece on my my newsletter the hockey IQ newsletter like when he goes to hit a guy, like it's not to seal it off and take the puck. It's like to actually shock that puck free. And then Mm -hmm. half the time he has no idea where it's at. That's my concern. Um, That being said, what he does amazingly well is move the puck and make decisions and process the game. Like he's got really good in tight hands that I think are pretty much second to none, uh, especially in that current league that he's at. Um, he makes things happen. Like he, he's just such a smart player that he seems to always figure out a way to influence the game. 
he's consistently discouraging passes. Like he's pretty proactive. Um, he's definitely not a perfect player. Like I had him end of, end of the first round ish type player. So we just disagree. That's all. <laughs> yeah, we, we disagree on some levels. I just think that he's going to be a solid second line guy. Like I think that he's going to overcome a lot of issues that he has. Um, my my major concern would be Philadelphia's uh, development system. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, I think that's that's uh, that's solid. That serves as a good teaser because I think we're going to try to put together a written thing uh, for McKean's uh, going back and forth on Emil Andre. I just have to get off my ass and start tracking some data on him. I've been slow, uh, but hopefully I'll be able to do that this week. So uh, I think that'll be it for this evening. That is two hours almost right on the dot. So thank you very much for your time, fellers. Uh, we'll see you around. Um, where can we follow you if people are not already, which they should? Uh, Twitter at Sam underscore McGilligan. Uh, is that even right? Yes, that is right. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sam underscore McGilligan. And I do have a Substack that I haven't written anything for since the 21 draft. It's not that I forgot about it. I'm prepping a bunch of stuff for when people actually, you know, start paying attention to the draft. Again Fair point. Because it feels like it would be wasted content to release it right now. When like eight people would probably read it and four would actually finish it. Rightfully so, because <laughs> it's freaking December. Who's looking for this stuff? But that will be coming down the line, probably starting in about a month or so. And then you can follow me at Twitter. Oh, yeah, that's my favorite spot because I like to write words. Uh, <laughs> at Coach Revac, R-E-V-A-K. Um, and then I've got a newsletter, the Hockey IQ newsletter. You search Hockey IQ and newsletter, you'll find it right away. And uh, yeah. Can't can't wait to uh, have Will suddenly come on the newsletter at least one time and, and tell us how to actually watch these prospects properly because clearly I'm, I'm wrong on quite a few. Whoa, don't be so hard on yourself. It's okay. <laughs> I'm wrong a lot too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know what? The one thing that we can agree on and we're both right on, Lucas Gustafson. Yes. Seamus Casey, baby. All day. And Seamus Casey. Seamus yeah, Casey. Seamus yes. Casey until I die. Ride so or die. He will be a number one defenseman in the NHL at some point. Yep. It's a matter it's gonna, of why, yes. not if. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see him go in the second round. <laughs> I have him top five. That idea is just ridiculous to me, and it's going to happen. Yeah, it's it? going to happen, so be ready. He's so much fun. Anyway. No, all right. there's no way he – does the Leafs have a first-round pick this year? Yeah. There's no way he gets by the Maple Leafs. Zero percent chance. Uh, that would be quite a pickup, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, anyway, thank you guys very, very much for coming in. Coming in. Uh, we'll probably do this again uh, in, I don't know, once a month seems fun, but maybe we'll do it uh, more often. But uh, thank you very much for joining me. And uh, for all the viewers, thank Sorry, you very I'm much. Me. Oh, yeah. And uh, for all the viewers, like I said, no stream next week. I am off all next week. So the week after, I will be back uh, and we'll do another one of these. So if you did not have questions answered, I apologize, but bring them back next week or just ask them on the internet and uh, one of us will answer. So thank you very much, and we'll see you in 